BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. So these this, this, these bones? Yes. King Richard III? Apparently. Right, so they, they've got DNA from a known descendant. Mm-hmm. You said they were doing some other tests. What, what, what might those other tests be? Um, clothes. Um, clothes? Funny wig. He was the one with the limp, wasn't he? What? How are they going to find out if a skeleton <laughs> has got a limp? <laughs> one leg shorter than the other. I'll tell you something, Kath, about your fiver. <laughs> it, it's just some bones. It's you just some bones. They're making a big deal of it, considering. If they're just going to say, no, it's not him. Surely, they're, I think they're hyping it up. I think it's him. Mm, what time do we find out? Oh, I don't know. I'll be, I'll be, I, I'll be listening to Roberto. I hope he covers it. <laughs> Ooh, I do like things like this. It won't be him. It won't be him. Morning, dear listener. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. What other tests can they do? The DNA... Yeah. Is that how DNA works? That even if it's... Oh, we find out at 10 o'clock? Oh! JVS better cover it. He better cover it as his phone in at 10. Otherwise, I'll be furious with him. I don't speak to him. But the D- does DNA work like that? That if you were related to someone from... I don't know when he was. Look at my bad English history. 300 years ago? Your DNA... It, would not my DNA be similar to my grandfather's from 300 years ago? Is that how it works? I don't know. I, we literally... 1485 he died. So when was that? That was a while ago. Lots coming up on the show. I'll shut up and crack on with it, shall I? Yes, I shall. Sewage has been seeping from a Bedfordshire woman's garden for several years. She says it's hell. We'll hear her story in the next half an hour. How important is it for kids to learn Mandarin Chinese in school? Only 3% of primary teachers are offering it. And Team GB Olympic diving coach Andy Banks has claimed there will be a second series of my favourite TV programme, Splash. The first one's been filmed in Luton. Do you think it's helped put Luton on the map? There are rumours the second one might not be in Luton. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text with your name on, please. 81333. Start your text, 3CR. And you can give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Can we... I'm going to ask... Uh, just, I'm going to throw this out there to my team. <laughs> yeah, right. Can we get an expert on to talk about the dead king's skull? I, I never thought I'd say that sentence before. Uh, well, I, 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 things like this fascinate me and intrigue me, and we'll, we'll see if we can investigate a little bit further. If not today, then tomorrow, when we know whether it's him or just some pleb. Now... Uh, lots coming up in the show, including this story, which is uh, is uh, fascinating and touching. An anorexic patient says she should have had the right to continue her NHS treatment at a clinic in Aylesbury after funding was removed just before Christmas. Her local NHS service removed Ella, that's not her real name, from the International Eating Disorder Centre after a damning report by the Care Quality Commission at the end of last year. The Trust said it had no choice but to offer her care elsewhere. Well, speaking exclusively to BBC Three Counties Radio, Ella told me how she felt about going to the centre for treatment. I was terrified. I'd been in control of this for many years and I knew that if I went to a specialised place, that control would be completely taken away from me. And it was a very scary, scary thing. And how long did they recommend that you stayed there for? Um, Initially, they said 120 days. Talk to me about some of the treatment that you received. What was your average day like? Um... To begin with, I was on a nasal gastric tube, so I was fed through a tube for about three weeks and I was on strict bed rest for three weeks because I was so ill. Then in December, the Care Quality Commission, or CQC, published a report into the centre. Oh, no, I do apologise. I've jumped ahead. Look at that. That's terrible, isn't it? Uh, However, Ella said she quickly realised how they could help her. You see, a psychologist twice a week, 
you see a psychiatrist once a week you have um, food therapy issues every day where you get to talk about your problems with with a specialised um, therapist um, and just sort of deal with the deep-seated problems that you have. If you hadn't have gone in there, into the centre in Aylesbury, what do you think would have happened to you? Um, I would have probably not been here today. Then in December, the Care Quality Commission, or CQC, published a report into the centre. In it, it said it had major concerns about certain aspects of the centre, the way it trained its staff, the way medicines were administered. Ella told me how she found out her treatment at the centre could be at risk. The Wednesday before Christmas, um, were we sort of notified that the CQC had been involved um, and the report was it was unsatisfactory. The day after... Um, we were told that the funding had been withdrawn and that we were to be out before Christmas, so we were to be out by the 24th of December. So that didn't leave you much time. It must have been quite... Obviously, it was a shock. How did it make you feel? Devastated, if I'm honest, and completely shocked. It came from nowhere. We had no idea. We'd known the CQC had inspected, but we had no idea of the outcome. As far as we were concerned, our care was was fine and our best interest was to stay there so it shocked me and it had a massive impact on me and not just me my family as well ella says she understands this report was critical and could see why her trust would have a problem but she feels pulling her out of the center caused caused her more harm than good the trust says it had no choice after the evidence it has seen she was offered another centre to complete her treatment and she told me why she didn't want that. I felt that going somewhere else at this stage of my recovery would be actually detrimental to me because it's a new model that they work on, it would be new staff that I'd have to build relationships with and I felt that that was actually more detrimental than me um, staying where I was, which is where I was happy and which is where I felt safe. And you went back to the centre, is that right? I did choose to go back there privately um, because I felt that it was the best place for me after my surgery and I felt that um, in no way was my life at risk and it was the best place for me at the time and I did check that that would be okay and provided it wasn't being funded by them they were quite happy for me to go back there. We'll play the full interview later this morning. Ella's local authority is in Worcestershire, the uh, Midlands and East Specialised Commissioning Group, who commissioned these services on behalf of the West Midlands Primary Care Trust, says, following discussions with the three patients from Worcestershire about the concerns raised by the CQC, it was agreed with the patients that they should be moved into alternative accommodation at the earliest opportunity. Failing to act in uh, light of a report from the National Watchdog which flagged up such concerns was not an option. We understand the distress this may have caused to patients, particularly as it was days before Christmas. However, we have a duty of care to our our patients to ensure that they receive clinical care that is both safe and high quality. The CQC told us we have carried out a follow-up inspection and our findings will be published in due course. We have evidence to show this place had serious concerns. We've also made repeated attempts to uh, uh, contact the centre without success.
Cannot go wrong with a bit of the Who. I love the Who. Sorry, I'm I'm frantically flicking through the papers because where on earth is it? I have seen what I think is the best photograph I've ever seen in my life, and I can't find it. I thought it was in the sun, but I can't see it. Phil Spector, the uh, bonkers genius producer who produced uh, Be My Baby and just um, River Deep Mountain High. Um, you never close your... What song's that? You never close your... What song's that? The oh, oh. You never close your eyes. What song's that? <laughs> to show it, baby, baby. You've lost that loving feeling. Uh, wrote and produced that. He's bonkers, okay, and he, uh, he tragically, he, he was famous for waving guns around, and he tragically shot uh, a waitress and went to prison for it. And they're making a movie of it, starring Al Pacino as Phil Spector. Already I'm hooked, okay? Already that, to me, just sounds brilliant. He was also famous for wearing awful wigs. Awful wigs. And there is a wonderful picture, and I cannot for the life of me find it, we will, we will find it at some point, of uh, Al Pacino dressed as Phil Spector in a massive Afro wig standing in court. It's just the greatest photograph I've ever seen, and I've seen pictures of my children. 08459 455 555 615. Let's get the travel news now. Oh, she's back. Fantastic. Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, no major problems to be updating you with at the moment. All looks like it's moving fairly well. Don't, Sophie, don't do an Alan Cowie. He would come on and say, there's nothing happening, I'll speak to you in in 15 minutes. Give 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 us something, come on. Um, okay. There are some temporary lights, um, in Buckinghamshire. Um, it's really actually looking very good out there. No major problems, all moving nicely on the sensors. Motorways also looking good. The M25, particularly down the western stretch, is moving nicely. Just checking public transport though, and we are having problems here. East Midlands trains and First Capital Connect have delays of up to an hour between the uh, Bedford and Brighton line. It's all following problems a little bit earlier around St Pancras in London. Also means we may have problems on southeastern services as well, uh, mainly heading between St Albans and Seven Oaks. So do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. We missed you. I missed you too. Didn't sound very convincing. <laughs> morning, it's 6.16. It's Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic patient has told this programme her local authority overreacted when it moved her from an Aylesbury clinic just before Christmas. A Bedfordshire pensioner says she doesn't want to go on living with raw sewage seeping into her garden every time it rains. In sport, in rugby union six nations, Italy beat France by 23 points to 18 in Rome. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, dry with sunny spells, but windy with a top temperature of 8 degrees. Coming up before 6.30, we'll hear that story of how sewage has been seeping from a Bedfordshire woman's garden for years. It's pushed her to the brink of suicide. It would drive you mad, wouldn't it? Keep listening and we'll tell you more. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Weekdays from three. Local news. Campaigners are holding a protest against a wind turbine that could be built near the Buckinghamshire village of Ford. Discussion. And we were told when he was five days old that the only way for him to have a life outside of a wheelchair would be to have a through-knee amputation at the age of one. Debate. Coming up after six, we've got an hour discussing business and finance. Later in the show, it's all about the entertainment world. It's the family and lifestyle debate. It's our politics panel discussing how politics affects us. Roberto Peroni. Weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, so whoever sorted out the music today is a flipping genius. Substitute by The Who, then this... He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans for nobody Doesn't have a point of view Knows not where he's going to Isn't he a bit like you and me? Nowhere man, please listen You don't know what you're missing I was going mad. I've been through the papers five times trying to find this picture of Al Pacino. I found it. If you like your rock history and you like your godfathers, page 45 of the Daily Mail. It's the best picture ever. If I was still on Twitter, I would tweet it. It's Al Pacino wearing a massive Afro wig. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. We got there in the end. Now, this is a story which is... uh, it's incredible, and just just think about, listen to this, and think about how you would react if this was happening to you or to your mum, okay? Raw sewage seeping into your garden for years. 
Because that's exactly what's happening at a Bedfordshire widow's home. And she says it's been hell. Heavy rain triggers the problem and leaves puddles of sewage outside Connie Manning's property at Tottenhoe and floods the lawn. Well, our reporter, Jessica Cooper, visited Connie to find out the extent of the problem. It's been hell, simply because the doggies want to go out. And um, no, that's, that's quite an effort, keeping those two in. And an extra walking for me to take them out. But it's just the fact of just looking out into the garden and all your hard work for weeks and weeks, which I love. I love my garden, and it just looks like a heap of floating water with ghastly, ghastly, huge pancake patches of other people's... I don't know what what word to use, but Mm. I think one uses the imagination to understand what I'm talking about and things that should never be in there and horrified when the dogs have to pad over that or I have to get to the shed or open the garage door. It's horrendous. How has it been making you feel then? If you've been having to look at this for five years, out your window every day, what does it make you feel like? Well, it's sort of on and off for five years, not sort Mm. of five years. I couldn't, I I wouldn't be here. (laughs) But, um, well... Horrendous. I don't know another word for it, actually. I just want to run away, and that's it. I I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. That's okay. don't worry. What do you want to be done? What would make this better for you? Obviously, the water sucked up, and all the... I I want it so that there's no germs left there, because I, I, I want to go out there and pick hold of things that have been near that or in it or something, and I just want it back how it should look because it's a beautiful garden and I work hours in it just imagine that's your garden for a minute you couldn't go out there not all the time because of all that stuff floating around or it's your mum, your poor mum well we can speak to Connie's son now Nick Manning, morning Nick morning do we have any idea why this is happening? Um, well basically because it's an on, been an ongoing problem um, they, they say in Anglia Water saying that they're now have more or less uh, got a scheme in place to rectify this problem. But, I mean, it's been four years coming, this, and it's, quite frankly, it's ridiculous that my mum should be, you know, it's like Victorian times, you know, living with sewage every other week or every every other month, you know. And it's the it's the clear-up operation, which is mm. the real the real problem, because this time around, they basically, the engine, it, she, they've, they've spewed it out to the public park, so that the playing field is now completely cord, cordoned off with children's swings and everything. They've directed raw sewage straight out into the swings and slides and everything else. And, um, you know, their, their excuse this time was, well, it's unviable for us to pump. Well, as soon as I got the press involved um, on Friday, a TV for Look East and everything, lo and behold, within an hour, the people... Um, come out and they start pumping and they've got rid of the sewage that's that's come to my mother's property i'm looking at there are pictures now if people go to the facebook page facebook.com forward slash bbc3 cell there are pictures there uh, this is the first time i've seen these your mum's got sandbags by her back door that's it yeah to yeah. stop she's, uh, had, she's had those there for four years those sandbags how old's mum she's 80 you you can't have an 80-year-old woman with sandbags by her back door. Look at this. It's quite deep there. How often does it look like that? I would say, well, every time it rains, and I would say it's, well, put, put it this way, it's been 
three times in the last three months. And, and I can see that the kiddies, the kiddies play area as well. Mm. That's that's a, a swamp. Mm. So have Anglian Water, they, they said they've, they're going to pump it and they're going to sort it out. Have they said what the problem, do they know what's causing it? I'm not sure, I'm really not sure, but it's strange, my, my parents have lived, well, my, my mum has, has lived here for um, now, I think at least 16 or 17 years, and for the first sort of 10, 11, 12 years or whatever, there, was, there, was, there wasn't a problem. I mean, if it rained heavily, it wasn't, something's happened, whether it's development or mm. something's happened somewhere that has caused this. So I don't, I don't really know. I can't can't answer that. And we heard we heard mum, uh, your mum there, uh, mm. very upset. Obviously, how has this been for her? Oh, it's just been horrendous. I mean, to wake up uh, every morning and you know she says she wants to top herself and you know she's bawling her eyes out. It, it's very hard for for me to deal with, quite frankly. You know, and I had to. You've got to do something about it. You can't just. Well, you, I mean, how how would anyone can live like this? I mean, even the smell alone. You know. But it's you know all the all the angrier water guys, uh, the actual engineers that come out and clear or whatever, they're great to talk to, but they, they don't they don't understand no. why it's not really been it's not been sorted out, you know. Uh, Nick, listen, I appreciate you coming on and send our best to Mum, and uh, we'll, 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 we're going to be following this all morning. Thank you very much, Nick Manning, there, Connie's son. Go and have a look at the pictures because you hear it, you think, oh, you know, it can't be that bad. Go and look at the pictures. It's the first time I've seen those. That's bad. Imagine if that was your mum or your gran. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Well, in a statement, Anglia Water said they previously started work on a permanent fix, but a landowner made it difficult by denying access. The company says it will complete the work as soon as possible and will keep a temporary pumping solution until then. Now, Team GB Olympic diving coach and Splash, it's interesting, it's following sewage into, into Splash. Uh, Splash head judge Andy Banks has claimed the show will definitely return for a second series. The first series has been filmed at the Inspire Centre in Luton. Our reporter Sophie Solaria is there. Sophie, what more do we know about the next series? Well, exactly what you said, Ian. Andy Banks has now said on Twitter that the show will definitely return for another series. However, ITV are yet to confirm that news, so it's not for certain... However, if it does run again, we're not certain it will be here at Luton's Inspire Centre. And in fact, there are claims that the show may move to the Aquatic Centre at the Olympic Park in London instead. Either way, I'll be here all morning outside the Inspire Centre speaking to people using the centre this morning after such an excitement, uh, such an exciting weekend. And if they want to come and speak to me to tell me what it was like having the film crew here in Luton at their Inspire Centre and if they would want it here again, they can come and talk to me, Ian. Now, Sophie, I want you to be honest, OK? Don't give me any BBC nonsense. I want honesty, because this programme divided people. Yeah. I loved Splash. Yep. Did you watch any of it? Yeah. Did you like it? Be honest. No. I didn't actually watch it for very long. That's it, it, my honest, honest... Why didn't it grab you, Sophie? Because the first time I saw it, I was hooked. Do you know what? I don't know. I just don't really care about swimming you don't care about swimming and diving i liked the olympics i loved yeah. the olympics i loved the olympic diving but i don't know a load of celebrities jumping off a board doesn't really do it for me <laughs> it sounds, Ian, to be honest sophie if i it sounds brilliant to me sophie uh, uh, sophie forgive me sophie solera sounds brilliant to me for goodness sakes what are you thinking well listen sophie's going to be there all morning if you want to go and say hello and have a chat with her and let her know what you think do you feel a bit betrayed it's looking likely it's not going to be filmed in luton series two do you feel a bit let down? 08459 455 505. Sophie Solaria, thank you very much. Let's go to the other Sophie now. What other show would go from Sophie to Sophie? Not many. Beds, high.
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting to look a little bit busy at the moment on the A405 North Orbital Road, just where you'd expect at the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Usual delays there this morning. Everything else still looks to be coping fairly well on the cameras at the moment. No major problems on the motorways, all looking good both in and out of the area. Looking good as well down the A5, no problems around Dunstable this morning. Usually looks a little bit slow there at this time in the morning, but does all appear to be coping well. On the trains though, we do still have delays of up to an hour on East Midland services between Bedford and St Pancras International due to an earlier overhead line problems. Uh, also causing problems as well on First Capital Connect on the Bedford to Brighton line and on South Eastern services. More delays between St Albans and Seven Oaks as well. So do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Sophie. It's 6.30. Let's get the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. An anorexia patient has told this programme her local authority overreacted when it tried to move her from an Aylesbury clinic just before Christmas. A Bedfordshire pensioner says she doesn't want to go on living with raw sewage seeping into her garden every time it rains. And archaeologists will finally reveal today whether or not bones found under a council car park in Leicester are those of King Richard III. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford manager Gianfranco Zola described himself as pleased and proud after another win at the weekend. The Hornets came from behind to beat Bolton 2-1 at Vicarage Road. Watford are now one point from an automatic promotion position in the championship. Here's manager Gianfranco Zola. You needed a lot of uh, character as well, as long, uh, along with the, with the quality and uh, also coming back from one goal down. And uh, It's a game in which we've shown a lot of uh, maturity and that's what we need uh, to you know, keep pushing until the end. And, uh, on what we're doing. MK Dons have slipped down to 11th in League One after their 3-0 defeat at home to Bournemouth. The Dons had striker Ryan Lowe sent off in the first half. Stevenage are now down to 15th in League One after another home defeat. Borough lost 1-0 against Orient and boss Gary Smith had his worst fears confirmed. And I thought we saw all the signs of a group of players that hadn't played for a while, which certainly was hoping weren't going to happen. Goal in 10 minutes for them, sloppy goal from our point of view gives them a, a lift and makes our life that much more difficult. Good response, but not enough. In the Blue Square bet, Premier Luton Town are now 7th after their 1-0 defeat at Barrow. The Hatters also had Nathaniel Rowe-Turner sent off. Amtil Town are through to the FA Vars quarter-final after their 3-0 win over Enfield. And this evening, Wickham Wanderers are away to League 2 title contenders at Gillingham. In Rugby Six Nations Championship, England got off to a good start with a 38 points to 18 win over Scotland. Billy Twelvetrees, who had a spell on loan at Bedford, scored a try on his debut. And Saracens winger Chris Ashton also got one. In the LV Cup's Saracens are through to the semi-final after beating Worcester by 22 points to 12. And that's the latest news and sport. More from me at 7 o'clock. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, which languages did you learn at school? I did French, and if you're good enough at French, you got to do German. I got, I've got no idea how I was deemed good enough to do German, because I was awful at French. J'ai deux ans. That's as far as I got. That means I'm 12 years old. That's literally as far as I got. German, I got... I, I enjoyed German, and then I discovered, like, messing around and being naughty. They've never been useful to me at all. Apart from a little handover I did with Jonathan Vernon-Smith last week, where we did it all in German. That's the only time. I can ask the best way to the train station, become ich am besten zum Bahnhof bitte, but I can only understand the instructions 
if it's straight straight down this road over the roundabout and the train station is on the left-hand side. That's the only thing I can understand. Well, the British Council is warning that the UK's ability to compete in the global economy is at risk for the next generation because not enough schools are teaching Chinese. So two things here. Do you want your kids to learn Chinese? And how useful have your languages been that you learnt at school? French and German. Some of you do probably do Spanish. Have you ever had the cause to use the languages you learnt at school in real life? 08459 455 555. I bet you haven't, if you're honest about it. Mm, the closer you get, the better you look, babe. The way the show works is we kind of have a little meeting after this after this show, and we'll talk about what we're going to possibly do tomorrow. And lots of people will pitch ideas; they'll get written on a board, and I'll nix most of them. Uh, but then some good ones will get through. Hopefully, that's that's the plan. Doesn't always work like that, but that's generally the plan. Well, when we had the meeting on Friday for today's show, a fuori took place in the, the meeting. There was a fuori about this next story about how important learning Mandarin is. 
And I was going, they're going, what is it? It's incredibly important. It's going to be the language of the future. In 30 years' time, America won't be a superpower. China will be ruling the world. And there were some people, Catherine Boyle, who went, no, it's, it's ridiculous. It's not a story. No, no, it's ridiculous. No, 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 no. no. Well, we'll investigate and find out who was right and indeed who was wrong. Which languages did you learn at school, dear listener, and how useful have they been? Well, the British Council is warning that the UK's ability to compete in the global economy is at risk for the next generation because of a lack of schools that teach the Chinese language. It's after a poll a poll found only 3% of primary and 9% of secondary teachers say their schools offer the subject. But is it really going to be that important for the future? Will it catch on? Scott Willis is a languages teacher from St George's School in Harpenden, where Mandarin is offered. Morning, Scott. Morning. Is it really important that people, that kids, learn Chinese? I think it's incredibly important that they learn a language. Um, Chinese is one of the ones that is currently um, on the ascendant because of the kind of political situation, because of the recession, etc., um, and because of the increasing kind of status of China in the kind of in the world, I would say. China's going to be the superpower in 30 years, 50 years. It's going to, you know, America's going to fall off and it's going to be in control. But do we need to learn Chinese? Because there are lots of different dialects and they all speak English, don't they? <laughs> uh, I hear this argument very frequently, unfortunately. Um, there are more people who speak English in China than they do in America, is the, is the statistic that's often banded around. However, I would say that even if you don't speak it to a very high level, even a little bit of Chinese when you're going over on a business trip will always kind of stand you in very, very good stead for um, the business meeting, basically sets it off in a good tone. Even just a, a smaller standard of Chinese would be more than useful. Scott, come on, give, give me some Chinese. G- hit me with it. Uh, ni hao. Ni hao. Uh, ni hao Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? What, <laughs> Oh, see, I, I would have thought... Uh, listen, I'm a huge fan of um, uh, karate films, and I would have thought that by watching Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, I'd have picked something up. I can't do any of it. Um, it doesn't quite work that way, I'm afraid. Oh, well, I've, I've, I've literally wasted my youth. <laughs> Uh, how long did you lived in China for a year, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, and are, are you fluent? Um, I would say it needs a lot. Of, it needs to continue to be practiced, as with any language. Mm. Um, um, but I would say I was kind of first year of university level. That's I did. I did literally move to China with no Chinese whatsoever. Wow, that's brave. I um, I can speak a little bit of Japanese, oh. uh, and the look of uh, shock when I'm in Japan and there's a tall Western bloke asking them, does this bus go to Tokyo? If not, which one do I need? <laughs> they they kind of look at you as if to say, well, hang on a minute, was, what, 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 why is he doing that? Did you get it's the same thing? expecting, but it is a positive kind of reaction. Oh, it is very time. positive, yes. But did, did you get the same thing in China? People surprised that a Western guy had, had made the effort? Because yeah, the, uh, the British are looked at as being quite lazy when it comes to languages, aren't they? Absolutely. I went to visit Shanghai towards the end of my year there, and I went into a shop and it was just buying some general things like toiletries and things that I kind of spoke in Chinese to them and their, their ma- kind of their ma- mouths literally dropped mm. and uh, they were basically saying there are lots and lots of English people lots of um, Europeans living here in in Shanghai, but not a single one of them will bother to learn any Chinese to speak to us. They were amazed. There's, a, there's, a, the, there's all these um, stories in the paper about um, people disgusted that these Polish and these Indians are coming over and they don't bother to learn the language. But then you think of all the Brits that have moved to Spain or yeah. have moved abroad, and they don't bother to learn the language. True. It's never too late, though. 
It's, it gets harder as you get older, though, isn't it? It does. I think the earlier the better. In terms of picking it up, that's with any language. I think the so younger you are, the more you are like a sponge, you pick it up. Your school's offering the language. How old are the kids that, that, that are learning Mandarin in, uh, in St George's? Uh, we offer it as a, a sixth form language. That's age um, 17, 18, when they're doing their S and A2. And is it popular? Um, it is quite popular, yeah. We have quite a, uh, like a hardcore of children who sign up as an extra kind of uh, qualification to go on the UCAS references and they kind of see it as important because we do a lot of work in the lower years about kind of awareness of China and Chinese. Finally, can you read kanji? Uh, I can't. Oh, he can't I can read, read it. You can speak Chinese script oh okay well there you go listen thank you so much uh, lovely to talk to you scott willis there uh languages teacher from st george's school in harpenden where mandarin is offered well later on we'll be hearing from a girl who's learning mandarin at school she's only five years old put that in your pipe Catherine boyle i want to hear from you this morning what languages did you learn at school and how useful have they been and how important is it for children to learn Mandarin Chinese? I think kanji is Japanese, actually. I think I'm just outing myself as what can only be described as an idiot. Uh, now, uh, we're talking about this sewage garden situation that we heard about earlier on, and it's been heartbreaking for, uh, for the, the lady that lives there. Julian, you're in Tottenhoe. You live near this house, don't you? Yes, we live next door to uh, Mrs Manning. You live next door. Do you have the same problem, or is it just located in her garden? No, unfortunately, we've lived here 11 years, and every year, without fail, two or three times, we've been, fortunately, only externally, flooded with sewage from a surcharging sewer, e.g. a sewer that is not flowing out. And is it full... Well, we don't need to go into detail, but, you know, is it full of the kind of things you'd expect yes. to see? It? Let's say paper products and deposits. There we go, thank you. Paper products and deposits, yes. Lovely. How do you feel, Julian, when you look out of your window and you, uh, we've had the sewage again? How does that make you feel? <sighs> Fortunately, worried, quite frankly, that one, it's going to come into the house. Thankfully, it never has. And two, it just beggars belief that a company the size of Anglian Water makes 400 million quid profit last year and can't give its customers the service they are paying for. When you've spoken to them, what have they said? Oh, we're terribly sorry. Nothing we can do. It's been raining. Well, that, that's paraphrasing greatly, I yeah. have to say, of course. Um, my amateur understanding is that the sewer, the main sewer running through the village of Tottenham, isn't of sufficient capacity to take the um, flow that it requires to. And there's been insufficient investment in the infrastructure. My, as I said, very amateurish mm. idea about it. Can you smell it in the house? No, thankfully, uh, being more cold, there is... No uh, nasty smells. But it's just becoming... Every time it rains, you think, here we go again. We saw... Um, there are some pictures of, of Connie's house on the Facebook page. Uh, mm -hmm. She's got sandbags and things like that to protect her house. Have you, have you taken any measures like that? Fortunately, Connie's got... Fortunately for us, I hasten to add, Connie's garden is somewhat lower than ours. Right, right. Therefore, it's only when it becomes um, somewhat higher that it flows into our, into our garden. Um, the main problem in the village at the moment, of course, is that the children's playing field is absolutely covered in uh, yeah. product, shall we say. Mm. Listen, Anglia Water are probably listening to this, Julian. Is there anything you want to say to them now? Well, I have to say that, to be perfectly fair, Anglia Water have put into place some works in on the sewer works in Tottenhoe. There's uh, contractors there digging holes and laying pipes. I just want to know when it's going to be done. I mean, quite frankly, as much as anything, even if I wanted to sell my house, I couldn't. Mm. Julian, listen, thank you very much for that. Julian Kirby lives in Tottenham, um, next door, of course, to uh, Connie Manning. If you want to see the pictures of Connie's back garden and the playground, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Travel news now, Sophie Tyler.
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Looking at problems on the motorways at the moment, anti-clockwise on the M25, it's very slow following an earlier accident between 28 at the Brook Street roundabouts and 27 at the M11. Also slow again, where you'd expect, between 21 at the M1 and 19 at Watford. Uh, the A1M heading south through Stevenage also has reports that one lane is blocked and there's queuing traffic following another accident. Three vehicles involved just before Junction 7 at Stevenage and the M1 London bound also looking at delays between 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. The A5 also heading through uh, Dunstable southbound to has delays just around Church Street at the A505 and Lynch Hill. Won't take you too long to get through that stretch again though only around 10 or 15 minutes. Now on the trains the East Midlands services and First Capital Connect have delays of 40 minutes on the Bedford to Brighton line also affecting things as well between St Albans and Seven Oaks on South Eastern services or following earlier overhead line problems. Everything else not looking too bad at all. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties. Radio. Thank you very much Sophie for those shouting at the radio, Kanji, of course, is the Japanese version of Chinese characters. Hanji is the Chinese characters. Ooh, I don't know. Morning 6.46. It's Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic patient has told this programme her local authority overreacted when it moved her from an Aylesbury clinic just before Christmas. A Bedfordshire pensioner says she doesn't want to go on living with raw sewage seeping into her garden every time it rains. In sport, Elise Christie has become Great Britain's first short track speed skating world champion at the 1,000 metres. Coming up, diving show Splash will return for a second series. Before seven, we'll hear from our reporter Sophie Soleri, who's at the Inspire Centre, where the series has just finished. But before that, let's get your latest weather now with Georgina Burnett. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, we're doing pretty well today compared to most of the UK, so it should be mostly dry for us with some sunny spells after a cloudy start. Now, if you're travelling west, you may encounter some wintry showers this afternoon, though, and we'll all have this cold, bitter wind today, with temperatures reaching 8 degrees Celsius, but probably not feeling quite that high in that cold wind. Tonight, though, will be clear at first with some scattered showers, sometimes heavy and perhaps morphing into hail or snow with that wind strengthening and temperatures dipping down to minus 1 degrees Celsius. Now there's a bit of a risk of ice tonight so we'll keep you posted on any warnings that are being issued. Tomorrow we'll have some sunny spells in between hail or snow showers which could be heavy at times and that wind will stay with us with highs of 6 degrees Celsius tomorrow. And in fact that wind is going to be with us for the next few days along with some rather unsettled wintry weather. This is Georgina Burnett for BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Georgina. Did you know you can get in touch with BBC Three Counties Radio wherever you are via Twitter at BBC3CR. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash BBC3CR. Call us on 08459 455 555 or text us on 81333 and start your message with 3CR. Getting beds, hearts and bucks talking. BBC Three Counties Radio. So what languages did you learn at school and have you ever used them in your life? 08459 455 555. All the lines are free. Now is an excellent time to give us a call and show off a bit of a foreign language.
I sound a little stressed, I do apologise. I'm moving house on Friday. We only moved two years ago. And we're moving, and this is it. This is this is the big move. This is the move where we're going to stay for next 10, 15 years, 20 years, I think. Something like that. That's the plan, anyway. Although this last one was the plan, but it, it never quite works out like that. I'm getting really anxious. We're moving on Friday, and I'm... Uh, I've kind of forgotten what you have to do. I know you have to pack, obviously. I'm not an idiot, and I've got to go and buy a load of boxes. We haven't packed yet. I'm trying to have a clear out, I'm chucking some CDs out, and I'm chucking uh, some books out, and some bits and pieces, and I'm selling some stuff on eBay. But do I have to... Do I have to pack everything? And by that I mean, if I've got stuff in the loft that's in those kind of... You know those, those plastic boxes you get from Poundland, and... Um, not Poundland, but those kind of shops. They're plastic boxes, they haven't got a lid. Do I need to pack those in a box? Do I need to pack my stereo? My nads? Do I need to pack my nads? It's my stereo system. It's NAD. It's NAD. So I've got a NAD stacking system. So do I do I, do I put my NADs in a box or do they just do, do I just let the the remove man handle my NADs? How do I do this? Do I take the mirrors down or do they take the mirrors down? And I guess I have to wrap the mirrors in bubble wrap. Do I? Maybe I should wrap my NADs NADs in bubble wrap. I don't know. If you've got any tips on this, I'm getting a little bit anxious. Friday, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I'm not in on Friday. The, the Prever is in. So Luke the Prever will be in. So that's excellent stuff. We're in safe hands. But um, if you've got any suggestions on things that I may forget, I did the ring around o- on Sunday of uh, I've got the insurance sorted out, the housing and contents. Need to sort out the car insurance. Um, I've changed the, the TV supply. I moved the TV supply. I'm going to get the internet sorted out ten, 10 days after we move in. I'm not going to have the internet for 10 days. I know, because I left it too late. Moving on the 8th. Yes, we can get that sorted for you on the 18th. What? No internet for 10 days? Oh, wait, 459 four double five five double five is the phone number. Any tips on moving house that you can uh, furnish me with? Did you see what I did there? Thank you. It's not all just haphazardly thrown together, this show. It's, it's the teams of scriptwriters work on this stuff. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Anything I may have missed whilst moving and if you've got any nightmare stories about moving i know someone who uh moved and, and they packed up and they had everything out and they turned out to their new house where they were moving in or maybe it was a flat and um the people said no we're moving tomorrow aren't we they hadn't bothered to move they, they, they turned up a day early oh eight four five nine four double five five double five Diving show Splash. It started off as a joke. It's now my favourite, favourite show of all time. Is going to return for a second series. Sing Hosanna's, boys and girls. I was blind, but now I see. Well, that's according to head coach Andy Banks, who's tweeted that the reality programme will be back. But, and there is a rub to this, it's been rumoured it won't be filmed in Luton and will move to the aquatic centre at the Olympic Park. Our reporter, Sophie Solera, is at the Inspire Centre this morning where this series has just finished. Sophie, what's happening there? Well, actually, it doesn't look like there ever was Splash, that it ever existed. However, people, mixed opinions. I've been speaking to people, mixed opinions about the show. Um, People are, as ever, coming in their droves to swim at stupid o'clock. They're coming, hang on, people stupid are going to swim at, at, at quarters of seven in what? the morning. Do you know there were 15 people when I looked up? Life's on too the, short. On the bikes and on the running ma- machines. Why would you do that? Ridiculous. Unbelievable. That shocked me mo- more actually than the fact that perhaps Splash won't be back in Luton. But um, mixed opinions from the people here swimming and uh, running this morning. Some of them said, doesn't really bother me. 
don't haven't noticed because obviously they get up at five and come in for six on a weekday and of course splash was uh, affecting them on fridays and saturdays so other people weekend swimmers weekend users of inspire were affected and of course said well i prefer it wasn't in my in my gym thank you very much you can go to london well you've spoken to some people let's have a listen to what they had to say did you have an opinion on splash been here at your gym yeah no i thought it was a really good opportunity for for inspire considering its new facility i thought it was really good good um, publicity i thought it was good yeah and did it bother you that you couldn't use the center at certain times i didn't don't, don't use the pool so it made no difference to me could use the gym like normal did you see any celebrities coming in and out uh no <laughs> <laughs> they cleared it up well i guess there's no no real remnants of it being here didn't really notice no sort of came in and out it's fine. Would you be disappointed if it didn't come back here for the second series? I think it would be good if it came back. I think it would be good. I'd like to see it come back. Sir, you, did you watch Splash? I, yeah, I saw a couple of weeks of it, yeah. And how, how was it for you? Did you enjoy it? It's good. My kids loved it. Did they? Yeah. Were they excited that it was here at your gym? Yeah, they like Tom Daly, so they were well chuffed. Would you like to see it come back if it was re- to return for a second series? Yeah, can't see why not. I think it's good. Did you watch Splash at yes, all? Yes, I did watch it. And did you enjoy it? Um... I enjoyed the fact that they the the skill involved being swimming in there and you can appreciate you know how high the board is and how difficult that would be. Did you enjoy the fact it was at your local center? I don't think it it could have been anywhere. I mean I recognized it because I swim here but other people wouldn't. Did it affect your membership in any way? Could you um use the gym at all times or did you find yourself no, being could swim on a Friday morning? And did that bother you? Um, it was a bit annoying. If it was to come back for a second series, would you want it here at Inspire or perhaps somewhere else next time? Um, I'm indifferent to it. I'd like a bit more promotion for Luton. So actually it might be a good thing if it came it back? It might be a good thing if they mentioned Luton in a good light and the facilities that we've got here rather than it could have been anywhere because the actual training wasn't in Luton, it was somewhere else. So it almost have been better if they'd made more of the fact it was here? Yeah, and um, the guy that won it, he said he went out for a run. Well, why not show where he ra- ran? Because it's all countryside from here, and I guess he had a jolly good run before he trained. So show that, show show the good things for Luton. Well, of co- according to the uh, the Daily Express, Sophie Eddie the Eagle Edwards, who did won it, win it, who did won it, mm. w- went out for a chip, fish and chip dinner afterwards. Show the fish and chip restaurant good he point. went to in Luton for goodness sake. Good point she made that lady actually. Do you know what? I could murder a bag of chips right now and a, a, a pickled egg. If I can find a chippy open you at do half it. past six or yeah. seven o'clock in the morning, I will bring you back some chips. You're so much better than that fellow we I used know. to have doing this job. I can't even remember his name, I the know. loser. Yeah. Sophie, speak to you later on. Thank you very much. Sophie Solaria there. Dude, I know it's terrible, isn't it? These cravings you get at times. If we, we, when you're working silly hours... You kind of get silly cravings. And now, at two minutes to seven in the morning, I really fancy a bag of chips soaked in vinegar, s- covered in salt, and a pickled egg. And against us. Oh, no. Come on, producer Laura. Delicious. Healthy. Healthy. That's a great way to start the week, isn't it? And a can of fizzy pop. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five five double five is the telephone number. Uh, I-, I do want to know your moving stories, good or bad. And anything, I'm, I'm nervous that I'm going to forget something. I've just done an email from my wife. My baby's put the thermostat down the toilet. So we're going to be cold for the rest of the week. And we've got... Oh. It's just going to be a nightmare, this. I know it's going to be a nightmare. Travel news. Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio.
Still looking busy anti-clockwise on the M25. Very slow there following the earlier accident between 28 at the Brook Street roundabouts and 27 at the M11. And the A1M also heading south through Stevenage. We have reports that one lane is blocked with queuing traffic there as well following an accident involving three vehicles just before Junction 7 at Stevenage. Congestion back to 8 at Hitchin at the moment. Now the A5 heading south through Dunstable also suffering with delays between Church Street and Lynch Hill. Barnet Bypass also beginning to get busy now around Stirling Corner and on the trains delays of 40 minutes on East Midlands trains between Bedford and St Pancras International due to an earlier overhead line problem also affecting things on First Capital Connect as well where there's 40 minute delays between Bedford and Brighton line everything else not too bad at all Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio Thank you Sophie Coming up in the next hour more on this story about poor Connie Manning whose back garden is flooded with sewage every time it rains. Have a look at it, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr, and we'll talk more after the news with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, anorexia patient fights to continue treatment, Bedfordshire widow suicidal over sewage and the Chancellor's latest banking crackdown. BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has told this programme her local authority jeopardised her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment in Aylesbury. The local authorities say they had no option following a damning Care Quality Commission report into the clinic's drug management and staff training. But the woman, who we're calling Ella to protect her identity, says their decision was dangerous dangerously unsettling. It came from nowhere. We had no idea. We'd known the CQC had inspected, but we had no idea of the outcome. As far as we were concerned, our care was was fine and our best interest was to stay there. So it shocked me and it had a massive impact on me and not just me, my family as well. A Bedfordshire widow has threatened to take her own life if something isn't done about the raw sewage which floods her garden whenever it rains. For years, wet weather's been causing the drains to overflow into Connie Manning's property at Tottenhope, swamping the lawn and leaving large puddles of waste. Connie's told her son Nick Manning she doesn't want to go on with the situation as it is. Well, can you imagine how distressing that is for me? She lost her husband October the 1st, which was, you know... But I remember the nurses coming in. They had to tread, you know, go through all the debris of sewage sometimes times to care for my father when he was alive this this is just a human situation here that no one should have to put up with the body of a man has been found in a stream in Aylesbury. A member of the public called the police at around half past seven yesterday morning after finding clothing at the waterside off Oakfield Road. The body was found at ten to nine and is believed to be that of a 25-year-old local man. His family have been informed. The Chancellor, George Osborne, is to warn Britain's banks that they face being broken up if they fail to comply with new rules requiring them to separate their high street divisions from their riskier investment activities. Here's our business correspondent, Philip Hampshire. George Osborne wants 2013 to be the year Britain's banking system is reset. He was already expected to announce plans to ring-fence retail banks, meaning high street branches will be protected from investment banking divisions. His new proposal goes much further, allowing the regulator and Treasury to break banks up if they flout the rules. The ring fence means bosses will not be allowed to operate across both units, and investment divisions will not use money from retail branches for what George Osborne describes as inherently risky investments. 
Archaeologists will announce this morning whether a skeleton found under a council car park in Leicester is that of King Richard III. It's thought that after his death at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485, he was buried at the Church of the Grey Friars in the city. In sport, rugby union six nations to be precise. Italy beat France by 23 points to 18 in Rome. As for the weather, dry with sunny spells, but windy with a top temperature of 8 degrees Celsius. That's 46 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Now, yes, you. We're, we're talking this whole thing about how Mandarin is going to be the language of the future, <clears> and it was you in the meeting on Friday. Oh no, I don't think it's going to be that important. <laughs> oh no, 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 we're not going to do that. It's no, just, it's not. Who's going to learn a bit of Chinese? Right. First of all, yes. What's the accent? North. <laughs> right. All right. Second of all, that's yes. not what I said. Well, okay. As a languages student myself, I think I, it's really important I've got to learn. No languages. way to fade you out, have I? No. Once you start talking, that's it. Do you know what? It, oh. Well, I just think it's important, but I also think that it's one of these things that business... OK, when was the last, ti- when was the last time you spoke French? Yesterday. Ooh. She got me there, didn't she? I believe I was owned, uh, but they spell owned with a P these days. I don't know why. Kids. Kids are bonkers. My kid was... Oh, my eldest was a little so-and-so at the weekend. He had a plug. He wouldn't put the plug back in the bath. I said, if you don't put that plug back in the bath, you are not coming downstairs to watch the Octonauts with me. So he got the plug, and he's, he's jabbing me with the plug, going, I'm sorting you, Daddy, I'm sorting you. Where has he learned, where has he learned to sword me? And as he's doing it, and he said, I hate you, Daddy, and I'm going to hit you. I never want to watch the Octonauts with you again. Wow. And as he's doing it, me and my wife are looking at each other, trying not to burst into hysterical laughter. It's ridiculous. I never want to watch The Octonauts with you again. Oh, well, OK. It's not the greatest hardship in the world. I mean, I like I like Quasi, but I, really, if I don't see him again... Captain Barnacle. I, I'll miss these characters, but if, that, if you insist... Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Nearly five minutes past seven. Lots coming up in the next hour of the show, including... We reveal why an anorexic patient says she should have had the right to continue her NHS treatment at a clinic in Aylesbury, even though the centre received a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. I'll play you my exclusive interview with her next. A Bedfordshire woman says her life has been hell for years because sewage has been seeping into her garden. It's horrible. If you want to see it for yourself, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You're getting feisty on there. There's a row brewing on there about this already. I love it when you argue. John Meeson says simply, move. Julian Kirby uh, replies... Uh, Julian was the gentleman we spoke to, the next-door neighbour, of course. Mr Meeson, an extremely facetious and uneducated remark. Would you buy this house? Go and have your say. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. I'll be speaking to her MP, Andrew Salou, to find out what can be done about it. And the British Council is concerned that only 3% of schools are offering Mandarin Chinese as a subject. Does it matter? What languages did you learn at school and how much have you really used them since? You know the Facebook page. You can text as well. Do include your name. I only read texts with a name. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or at six minutes past seven on a Monday. The best way to get in touch. Look, nearly all of the lines are free. Give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. It's the same number to call as well to tell me you're moving disasters. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
I'm moving Friday and I'm really anxious about it. There's lots of other things going on as well in my life, which all add up to um, me just wanting to stop the world. I want to get off. Moving is the prime concern at the moment. Any tips you've got on things I may have forgotten? And just uh, let's, let's get them out in the open, shall we? Let's have your worst case scenarios. W- when you moved, what went wrong? 08459 455 555. An anorexic patient says she should have had the right to continue her NHS treatment at a clinic in Aylesbury after funding was removed just before Christmas. Her local NHS service removed Ella, that's not her real name, from the International Eating Disorder Centre after a damning report by the Care Quality Commission at the end of last year. The Trust said it had no choice but to offer her care elsewhere. Speaking exclusively to BBC Three Counties Radio, Ella told me how her anorexia affected her. I've suffered with an eating disorder for about 25 years, in which I've been in denial for most of those. Um, And it wasn't until my health deteriorated significantly that I was taken into um, hospital. I didn't sleep, I had no energy, I pretty much collapsed at home. And so it was suggested that you go uh, on this course at the centre in Aylesbury. I was terrified. I'd been in control of this for many years and I knew that if I went to a specialised place that control would be completely taken away from me and it was a very scary, scary thing. And how long did they recommend that you stayed there for? Um, Initially they said 120 days. Talk to me about some of the treatment that you received. What was your average day like? Um, To begin with I was on a nasal gastric tube so I was fed through a tube for about three weeks and I was on strict bed rest for three weeks because I was so ill. But then as you start to, um, your health starts to get better and you get stronger, you see a psychologist twice a week, you see a psychiatrist once a week, you have um, food therapy issues every day where you get to talk about your problems with with a specialised therapist um, and just sort of deal with the deep-seated problems that you have. If you hadn't have gone in there, into the centre in Aylesbury, what do you think would have happened to you? Um... I would have probably not been here today. Really? You, you would have died? Yeah. Yeah, I would have. Th- things were that bad? And that was just through lack of eating and, and, and bad care of yourself? That was literally down to um, malnutrition. Um, my heart was weak and I could have gone into organ failure yeah, at any time. So it was quite serious, yes. When did you hear that, that there was something potentially wrong with the centre and that your treatment was going to be coming to an end? We were really shocked really because not until the Wednesday before Christmas um, were we sort of notified that the CQC had been involved um, and the report was it was unsatisfactory. And how far into your, you said you were there for 120 days, how far into your treatment were you? Um, I was about three quarters of the way through. So the Wednesday before Christmas you find out that there's possibly a problem. When did you know you were going to be asked to leave? The day after, um, we were told that the funding had been withdrawn and that we were to be out before Christmas, so we were to be out by the 24th of December. So that didn't leave you much time. It must have been quite... Obviously, it was a shock. How did it make you feel? Devastated, if I'm honest, and completely shocked. It came from nowhere. We had no idea. We'd known the CQC had inspected, but we had no idea of the outcome. As far as we were concerned, our care was was fine and our best interest was to stay there so it shocked me and it had a massive impact on me and not just me my family as well the center's report wasn't particularly good was it that's the reason that it was the funding was being withdrawn it is quite damning and 
um, it certainly comes across that our lives were being put at risk. I feel that that is so far from the truth. If anything, our, our lives were being saved there. I do think that the CQC inspector actually didn't have much knowledge of eating disorders um, and I do feel that it's been done very poorly. I still trusted the staff there but I felt very let down by the NHS uh, who were funding me to to do that to me at such a vital stage of my treatment and um, it had such a massive psychological impact on me and I did feel that the trust had gone between them and felt very let down, yes. Did they offer you any alternatives, come up with any other places that you could have gone to? Yes, they did. They offered me another place. Um, However, I felt that going somewhere else at this stage of my recovery would be actually detrimental to me because it's a new model that they work on. It would be new staff that I'd have to build relationships with. And I felt that that was actually more detrimental than me um, staying where I was, which is where I was happy and which is where I felt safe. And you went back to the centre, is that right? I did choose to go back there privately um, because I felt that it was the best place for me after my surgery and I felt that um, in no way was my life at risk and it was the best place for me at the time and I did check that that would be okay and provided it wasn't being funded by them, they were quite happy for me to go back there. How would you like to have seen this be handled differently? What would you like to have seen done? I would like the CQC especially to have listened to our needs and what we thought about the centre and taken on board how we felt and that our best interest in our opinion was to stay where we were. And how are you now? Uh, Are you feeling better? Is is life looking better? Um, I am feeling a whole lot better than what I was when I first went in and it has had a massive effect on my life. It's something that's always going to be with me Um, but I still have to battle it and and deal with it every day. But compared to where I was, um, life is looking more positive, yeah. Well, that was Ella, not her real name, speaking to me uh, recently. Well, Roy Lilly is a former NHS chairman and now an independent commentator. Morning, Roy. Hey, good morning. This is a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, if a patient feels that they were getting good treatment and seeing benefit from it, but but the CQC writes a negative report... What does what choice does the, the trust have? Well, you're between a rock and a hard place. Uh, none. I mean, look. I mean, let's let's sort of unpick a bit of this. Um, people with uh, eating disorders are often very vulnerable. It's very difficult to get them to engage in treatment in the first place because it requires their own self recognition that they've got a problem. And building up trust with the therapist is an essential part of of a very long journey to recovery. And, of course, that's what happened here. This this patient has had a very good relationship with a place that wasn't very good. That That's the, uh, the difficult bit. Now, if you're managing these services, if you're the boss and in charge of providing them, and the organisation that you rely upon to tell you whether or not it's safe, if it, is it good quality, is it value for money, and all the rest of it, if they turn up and say, look, this place uh, is not very good, and our recommendation is that you 
pull your patients out. Well, there's not much mm. you can do because the CQC don't do that lightly. I mean, they have various levels of, of involving themselves. I mean, they may involve themselves after an inspection in an informal way. They may be more formal. They may impose some caveats, some limitations on what the place can do. It might re- give them a p- particular period of time, three months to fix a problem or something like that. But this, this is serious, and I think the, the, the PCT, the, the local people who buy our health care, of course they'll go soon and be the GPs will have the problem, but if they say, look, this, this place isn't safe or it isn't right or it can't be fixed in the short term, then if you continue to send patients there and something went wrong, mm. you and I would be having a very different conversation. Timing must be a concern. I mean, Ella was, uh, was left just before Christmas, which I would imagine for anorexics and people with eating disorders is a, is a particularly difficult time anyway. Yes. I mean, I, I'm full of sympathy for, for the patients at this place. I really am. I used to, myself, uh, run mental health services including some eating disorders services and they and when i did it i mean they weren't as developed as they are now but i do you know i'm i do understand the sensitivities around this but you know whether it's christmas eve whether it's easter whether it's ramadan you know it doesn't matter when it is if the place isn't right and that you get a recommendation to pull the patients you it would take a very brave and very foolhardy manager to ignore that uh, finally, Roy, one of Ella's uh, general criticisms was the lack of knowledge and understanding the NHS still has of people with eating disorders. Are NHS trusts well equipped to deal with these sort of problems? Yes, I think, you know, we have to take Ella's criticism on the chin. She'll call it as she sees it. I, I think eating disorders now are much better served than mm. they were. That isn't to say that, now have my having said that, that you, know, you and I are not going to get emails and letters from people saying it, it's not good. It, it's a very complex topic and uh, you know, it, it involves the you know, the physical recovery of people who are malnourished it involves very complex reasons why they're not eating some of its family some of its life some of its self-esteem it's a very complicated and difficult illness right listen i could talk to you all morning it's fascinating thank you very much indeed that's uh, roy lilly former nhs chairman well ella's local authorities in worcestershire uh, the midlands and east specialized commissioning group who commissioned these services uh, says following discussions with the three patients from worcestershire about the concerns raised by the cqc it was agreed they should be moved into alternative accommodation. In this situation, we had to balance immediate patient safety against the proposed long-term treatment goals. We've also made uh, attempts to contact the centre without success, and the CQC have told us we have carried out a follow-up inspection and our findings will be published in due course. We have evidence to show this place had serious concerns. Right, a little bit later than normal, but I thought that was worth pursuing. Let's get the travel news. Sophie Tyler... Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, still looking very slow following the earlier accident between 28 at the Brook Street Roundabout and 29 at Romford. Now heading south on the A1M, more delays just uh, following an earlier accident which has now been moved to the hard shoulder just before Junction 7 at Stevenage with congestion back to Junction 9 at Letchworth. The M1 London bound also slow as well between 10 at Newton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. Barnet Bypass, uh, slow where you'd expect in Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass and the A10 also slow heading south particularly around Enfield, just around Bullsmore Lane and Southbury Road. Now, we do still have delays of 40 minutes on East Midlands trains between Bedford and St Pancras International following overhead line problems, also affecting First Capital Connect, where there's also delays of 40 minutes on the Bedford to Brighton line as well. So do check before you travel. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. 
Right, it's nearly 7.18. Apologies for being a bit late. It's Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has told this programme her local authority jeopardised her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment in Aylesbury. A Bedfordshire widow has threatened to take her own life if something isn't done about the raw sewage which floods her garden whenever it rains. In sport, Essex's Ali Carter beat Marco full 9-6 to win the German Masters... Marco Fu! Uh, 9-6 to win the German Masters snooker in Berlin. It's the third ranking title of his career. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Dry with sunny spells, but windy with a top temperature of 8 degrees. Coming up... Before 7.30, we'll speak to Andrew Salou, the MP for the Bedfordshire woman who has faced years of having sewage leaking into her garden. 08459 455555. I'm looking for your moving tips and your moving disasters. We've had some texts. I'm not reading them out, though, because you haven't included your name. 81333, start your text 3CR, and please do include your name. BBC Three Counties Radio. Three Counties Sports. Join me, Jeff Doyle. And me, Luke Ashmead. Monday nights from six will feature sports such as... Horse riding. Love horse racing. The passion, the excitement. But actually getting on a horse? No way. I had a serious phobia of horses. I did used to lock myself in cars and I couldn't look if a horse was going past. No. I've overcome it a little bit. I'm nowhere near as bad as I used to be. They are big, muscly beasts, aren't they? Yeah. Can you imagine one of them standing on you? Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. Three Counties Sports. Monday nights from six. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Has that set you back again? Yeah, that's set me back 20 years. A Bedfordshire widow says it's been hell living with raw sewage seeping from her garden for several years. Heavy rain triggers the problem and leaves puddles of sewage outside Connie Manning's home at Tottenhoe and floods the lawn. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, put on her wellies to visit the house and was shown the extent of the problem by Connie's son, Nick Manning. Let's go out into the garden and have a look. Immediately, you see the sewage, you couldn't miss it. It's taken over probably about half of the garden. Is this what it's always like? This is what it's like. It can be a lot worse than this, but this is because they've diverted it into the public uh, playground. But... um... Yes, as you can see, there's toilet tissue, detritus, everything you can name. Mother has a couple of dogs here and, you know, I have a small child that I bring here as well. And it's, um, it's just not on. It's just terrible. Explain when this happens then. Why does it flood like this? It overflows from the, from the drainage there, whether it's storm water or, or that doesn't seem to be storm water now because every time it rains, it comes through into my mother's garden and the sewer overflows and all, all the raw sewage comes up and, uh, and that's it. I mean, the clean-up operation, they've done it countless times as Anglia Water probably are, are very aware of that. I've got my wellies on, so if we go for a, 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 just a small walk because the smell as well I, I know this you said isn't as bad as it can be but it's uh it's vile isn't it it, it is, it's definitely different I, I haven't seen anything like this before and at the back of your mother's house here in front of her patio windows there, there are sandbags so are yes. they there all the time they have been there for approximately three years now because this is happens all the time really anglia water should have sorted this years ago I'm disgusted that this is still happening. And I haven't done anything for a long time, but now's the time I think, you know, I've had enough, basically. And I really want to get things solved and, and 
get some compensation for my mother that, that she's put under all this stress and everything else. Like I say, it's been years in the coming, this. You say your mother is, is extremely stressed by this situation because it's been going on for so long. What impact do you think this is having on her? The impact is quite dramatic. Um, her health is suffering, her mental and physical health is suffering. She's waking up in the morning, bawling her eyes out, saying, I, w- I want to kill myself, this kind of stuff. Um, what can you do? I'll get the police. And I said, well, the police can't do anything about it. I mean, it's quite outrageous how Anglia Water have just let this happen to a, an individual and an individual's property, basically. Bunches of flowers round a couple of years ago, three years ago, whatever, is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really needs something drastic doing and, and she needs compensated, basically, for this. Let's just go um, down here briefly because the, the sewage is all flowing in one direction towards the fence and on the other side of the fence is the playground. So yeah. why is it going in that direction and what impacts that having on the other side? Well, obviously to alleviate the, the property flooding, they dug a trench to alleviate the sewage building up to such a level that it goes into the property. In doing so, it's gone into the park and into a public playing field and is now centred round all the swings and the slide and everything like that and that is raw sewage that kids you know may play i understand today they've just fenced that park off as a precaution but this has been three or four days of raw sewage into a public playing area that's what you want for your kids isn't it hey when i'm running around in that muck you can see the pictures of connie's house facebook.com forward slash bbc 3cr um put your thoughts on there it's already kicking off on there. We can talk now to Andrew Salou, who's the Conservative MP for South West Bedfordshire. Morning, Mr Salou. Good morning. What have the residents been saying to you? Well, I, I have been contacted uh, by some of them, and I immediately contacted Anglian Water, and I'm just looking now at the last letter I had back from Anglian Water, in which they said to me they were starting works on the 7th of January, which should have cleared everything up and sorted it out by the 23rd of January, but having just listened to mm. your report... That's clearly not the case, is it? And it's now the 4th of February. So this is completely and utterly unacceptable. No one should be forced to uh, live like that. And I will be getting back onto Anglian Water this morning to say that this is simply not good enough and uh, Tottenham residents uh, shouldn't be forced to live like this and the children want their playground back. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? That, that they've, they've, they've put in temporary measures. They've pumped out the water, it would appear, from um, the Connie's house, but they've just pumped it into the playground in, in the field behind her. Well... In they, Anglian Water wrote to me on the 15th of January, I'm looking at their letter now, and the scheme they um, were supposed to be putting into place then, which should have been finished by the 23rd of January, was supposed to have sorted it out uh, permanently it. Right. once and for all. It was to do with uh, the, the water going down different uh, manhole covers um, slightly further up Castle Hill Road. But that, that clearly hasn't worked, listening to your report. I did see the Anglian Water... Uh, pumping lorries there on on Friday when when I was in Tottenham. So I I know they have been there and they've been attending, but um, frankly what they've done is just not worked and um, they need to redouble their efforts. They need to make this more of a priority to get it sorted. The accusation... Sorry, sorry, uh, to interrupt, Mr. Lee. The the accusation made by by some of the people today is that this has been going on for four or five years uh, and um, uh, Anglian Water have done very, very little until Connie's son went to the press. That doesn't seem yeah. fair, does it? It, it? It's not good. I mean, I'm just 
checking my files as to when I was contacted on this. I mean, I, I, I do contact Anglian Water on behalf of constituents across the whole constituency from time to time. And, you know, we normally manage to get things sorted. But if this has been going on for that long, then it clearly needs to be escalated uh, to a very senior level. And Anglian Water need to be told in you know, very, very clear terms that what they've done so far is simply not good enough and they've got to go back to the drawing board and sort this out once and for all. In terms of cleaning up um, Connie's garden and her neighbour's garden and um, the playing fields behind that, who pays for that? Well, it, it should absolutely be Anglian Water because, I mean, A, it's private property, so their householders are going to need to be compensated, but the playground is available for all village children, possibly some children from Dunstable as well. And, um, you know, that should clearly also be done by Anglian Water. I didn't see why Tottenham Parish Council should have to pick up the bill or any other local council in um, Bedfordshire. So um, I would absolutely be looking to Anglian Water to pay for all of that. Have the parish council been in, been in touch? Have, have they said much to you? Um, I, I, it, it, I don't have all my files with no. me at the moment. Um, they, they are very efficient council, Tottenham Parish Council. They raise quite a, <clears throat> a number of things with me. The letter that I'm looking at here is from a private individual in Castle Hill Road who wrote to me um, about this um, just before Christmas. Um, but it, it's, as I said, I'm appalled by what I've heard mm. this morning. I'd hoped when I'd seen the lorries out on uh, Friday night that that might have been a permanent solution. But having listened to your report, it's clearly not. So, well, Mrs. Um, Manning, eight, Mrs. Manning's 80 years old, and she's, she's told us that she's suicidal. Well, I mean, that's just not on, is it, for um, a lady of that age who should be uh, able to enjoy her, her home in peace and quiet and um, without this sort of worry. So I've got the message very clearly. I need to get back in touch with Anglian. Are you going to give them a call today, Mr. Salou? Um, I will ring them, I will write to them, and uh, I'm more than happy to come back on your programme at a later date. Fantastic. Um, you know, and hopefully we will have this sorted, and thank you for giving it some attention, because I, I think that's a very valuable thing you've done. Thank you very much for coming on, and thank you for uh, d d grabbing it by the horns and running with it. That's uh, Andrew Salou. That's what you want from an MP, isn't it? I'm not particularly politically biased either way, but that's, that's what you want from an MP. He's heard the problem, he's going to put a rocket up their backsides. Good for him. Uh, Nicola is from Barton the Clay on this. Morning, Nicola. Hi, morning. Um, I was I was actually wondering that um, if this has been going on for so long, uh, this lady, eighty-year-old lady, would be entitled to. Uh, I would suggest and fight for her son could fight for is a refund in all her water rates for whatever she's paid over the last however long it's been, and that actually might make uh, Anglian Water. Uh, Stand up and smell the coffee, as uh, Roberta. Stand up and smell the coffee. Wow. <laughs> yeah, something, uh, like something like that, isn't it? But the thing is, with these big big companies, it's like talking to a machine, isn't it? When you say, listen, I'm going to invoice you for all the inconvenience and I want a refund for the last yeah. five years, mm. the, 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 the kind of computer steps in and you, you, it's difficult to get a human response, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, no, I understand. I think it's a cracking idea, Nicola, and I, I, I would thoroughly suggest that she, uh, she sends them a bill for all her hardship and all her stress. Nicola, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to see the pictures, go to the Facebook page and have a look. It's pretty shocking. It's When we, I first heard about this, it's like one of those stories, oh, there's some poor old woman that's got a bit of muck in her back garden. It, the pictures are incredible. You will be surprised by them. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Travel news now, Sophie Tyler. and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, still very slow following the earlier accident between 28 at the Brook Street Roundabout and 27 at the uh, 
to our M11. Sorry, congestion is back to 29 at Romford at the moment, causing quite a few problems there after one lane was closed. The A1M heading south through Stevenage, also queuing following the earlier accident as well. Happened just before Junction 7. Congestion is back to Junction 9 at Letchworth, though. It's going to take you around half an hour to get through that stretch. More delays heading London bound on the M1 between 10 at Luton Airport and 9 at Redbourne. Barnet Bypass slow where you'd expect heading south around Stirling Corner and the A10 also looking fairly busy as well heading south between Bullsmore Lane and Southbury Road. Now on the trains we have 40 minute delays on the East Midlands trains between Bedford and St Pancras following an earlier overhead line problem also causing problems of 40 minutes as well on First Capital Connect services particularly on the Bedford to Brighton line. Everything else not looking too bad at all. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Sophie. 7.30 News and Sport now. Here's Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. An anorexic woman has told this programme her local authority jeopardised her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment in Aylesbury. A Bedfordshire widow has threatened to take her own life if something isn't done about the raw sewage which floods her garden whenever it rains. And the Chancellor, George Osborne, is to warn Britain's banks that they face being broken up if they fail to comply with new rules requiring them to separate their high street divisions from their riskier investment activities. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford manager Gianfranco Zola described himself as pleased and proud after another win at the weekend. The Hornets came from behind to beat Bolton 2-1 at Vicarage Road and are now one point from an automatic promotion position in the Championship. MK Dons, meanwhile, have slipped down to 11th in League One after their 3-0 defeat at home to Bournemouth. The Dons had striker Ryan Lowe sent off in the first half and it's fair to say manager Carl Robinson was not impressed. He's let everyone down. I don't condone it. I don't condone idiotic behaviour. If I don't think, if I think you've shirked something and you've done something against this football club, you either take it like a man or you walk away and you're gone. Stevenage are now down to 15th in League One after another home defeat. Borough lost 1-0 against Orient. In the Blue Square Bet Premier, Luton Town are now 7th after their 1-0 defeat at Barrow. The Hatters also had Nathaniel Rowe-Turner sent off. Here's boss Paul Buckle's assessment. We can't as a team legislate for that. We can't. We're not that good that we can gift a goal and then keep coming back. We can't do it. You know, McNaughty never got bullied today. I didn't think we got bullied. But in that one area there, Taylor's been made a horrendous error and it's cost us. Amptill Town are through to the FA Vars quarter-final after their 3-0 win over Enfield. And this evening, Wickham Wanderers are away to League Two title contenders, Gillingham. In Formula One, Red Bull unveiled their new car yesterday at the Milton Keynes factory. Designer Adrian Newey described the RB9 as evolutionary. Red Bull are attempting to win the drivers' and constructors' title for the fourth consecutive year. Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber will drive the cars again when the season gets underway next month in Australia. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sorry, I'm jumping on some hula hoops. Coming up in the next half an hour this morning, we'll find out if bones are found buried in a car park in Leicester really are the final remains of Richard III. How will they know if it's him? Or we can speak to our reporter, James Alexander Shortly, who is there. And which language did you learn at school, and how useful have they been? The British Council is warning that the UK's ability to compete in the global economy is at risk for the next generation because of a lack of schools that teach the Chinese language. We'll hear from a three-counties mum whose daughter started learning learning Mandarin from the age of four. (laughs) 
on FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. One of England's most notorious kings, inspired one of Shakespeare's greatest plays. This morning, we will find out if the bones found buried in a car park in Leicester really are the final remains of the real-life king, Richard III. A press conference has been called for 10 o'clock to reveal the results of the DNA tests. Our reporter, James Alexander, is there. Morning, James. Hi, Ian. They're going to confirm it's him, aren't they? I mean, there's a programme about it on Channel 4 tonight. They're calling a big press conference. They're going to give the thumbs up, aren't they? It would be a huge anticlimax, would it not, if they are to announce that it's uh, it's not him. Um, but they're not saying anything. The project leader has just entered this brick building beside me where this news conference is being held at 10. He had an envelope, a big brown envelope in his hand, marked strictly confidential. He said that had the results <laughs> in. <laughs> it's like they the DNA results on Jeremy Kyle. Finalising it. It's, it's exactly like Jeremy Kyle, except with a little historical twist, a little historical spin on it. Um, and it's a story that's captured people's imaginations. There's media from right around the world uh, setting up around me. The last English king to die in battle. Has he been found in a council car park in Leicester? Three possible answers this morning. Yes, no, maybe. So far the piece has fit. We know Richard's body was brought to Leicester after the nearby Battle of Bosworth. The skeleton has obvious battle wounds and a curved spine that matches Richard's crooked back. But the team need more than a hunch. They need scientific proof. Well, then you talk about proof. This is what I don't get. I don't understand. How can they prove it's definitely him? Well, the bones have been carbon dated to check their age. They've even analysed plaque on his teeth. And if you've seen the skull pictured in this morning's papers, they're remarkably good teeth for a man his age. But it's the DNA tests that are most crucial. Enter Michael Ibsen, a cabinet maker from Canada and a direct descendant of Richard III's sister. He says it's strange to think his DNA sample could hold the key. Hairs in the back of your neck go up and tingle up your spine and you think you've got this connection with history. Here am I in a peaceful time in the cabinet making shop and uh, you know when Richard died in the midst of this incredibly violent um, landscape it's a strange juxtaposition really. And as well as DNA tests they've even done a CT scan of the skull to create a 3D digital image of what the king's face may have looked like. There are some people who, who may say, James, come on, for goodness sakes, let, let the man rest in peace buried under a council car park. We shouldn't be digging up bones and messing with voodoo. Yeah, some people may feel a bit uneasy about all this. These are human remains, after all. Um, but you talk to Philippa Langley from the Richard III Society. This is a kind of fan club for Richard III. She raised the money to start the dig. And she says this is about writing a historical wrong, revealing the real man, not the Shakespearean propaganda, and giving him a tomb fit for a king. She says the very first time she visited that anonymous looking car park, she felt like she was walking on Richard's grave oh. and she was especially spooked by the large letter R painted on oh, the ground. Dear. Now R just meant a reserved space oh, in the car Oh for park, goodness but this sake. This was the trigger. This was the trigger and guess what Ian, Go you, on. May, you know, sniff about it. I'm but sniffing. R marked the spot where the bones were found. So hang on, there's a woman who's a, fa- who's a Richard III groupie and she went to a car park and felt she was walking on his grave then saw an R and thought, yes, he must be buried here. Yes. 
and there is some science as well and academics and you know there's more to it than okay. just that but she had this gut instinct that that is where he was i mean it was based on on more than just oh, a hunch right because this was the site of the former monastery which is where richard was brought after he was stripped naked on the battlefield taken on horseback and slung in a a grave in a monastery but the rumor always was that the bones had been dug up and chucked in the river when the monastery was demolished in the dissolution of the monasteries um but it turns out maybe all this time he's been laying under the ground where the social workers have been parking their cars there james a, a final England final question thing. quick 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 uh, answer if you can what happens to the bones now do they get put in a jiffy bag and sent to the queen what, what happens <laughs> Uh, well, possibly they could be buried at Leicester Cathedral. That's what the dig team want. They could be buried at York Minster. That's what many northerners would like to see. They could be given a full state funeral at Westminster Abbey. It's the final battle for King Richard III. Oh, good line, James. I'm glad we got that. James Alexander, who's there. He sounds a little bit cold. Fascinating, though. Thank you, James. I love stuff like that. History. I love a bit of history. It's exciting. I think they're going to say at 10 o'clock, it's him. If they do a maybe... Will, let's have those all-important DNA results. Bit of Kyle there for you there. If they say maybe, I'm going to be furious. They won't say no. It's on Channel 4 tonight. So it's definitely a yes. That's just based on a hunch. On FM, AM and online. BBC Three Counties Radio. It was mocked. Splash. Not the film. Um, was it Daryl Hannah? Daryl Hannah and uh, Hanks. Was Hanks in that? And uh, Eugene Levy is the scientist that was trying to capture with a big afro. Uh, a cracking film, although I've only ever seen the bit where he throws water on her to make her turn into a mermaid outside a theatre or something. It's the only bit I've seen. Yeah, I've never seen beyond that. I- I've seen Splash 2, bizarrely, which I don't think has any of the original cast in. Anyway, the TV series I'm talking about. It was mocked at the start. I mocked it. I know, I was one of those lazy people that you hear on the radio who just jumps on a bandwagon and mocks something without having seen it. And shame on me, because when I watched it, I loved it. So it was, I thought it was fantastic Saturday night entertainment. Exactly what you want. Celebrities putting themselves in danger, doing something a little bit dangerous and a little bit different, uh, and wearing skimpy outfits. Perfect. Well, Lauren is in Luton. Lauren, is it true you went to the final? I did indeed. How on earth did you get those golden tickets? Um, we managed to apply for them on the internet. Yeah. And um, we then managed to get priority tickets, and then we had to have the uh, queue for a couple of hours. Was, um, it, was it one of those queues? Because I've been to TV shows and they always give out more tickets than they have seats for. Did people get turned away? We, we initially got turned away on the first showing um, and that's when we were then given tickets for the final. Oh. Why were you so keen to go, Lauren? Because a, a lot of people say it's rubbish. Um... I wanted because we live in the local area as well. I wanted to see the swimming pool and the stars and <laughs> just be part of it, really. You, and you, boy, oh boy, did you see stars? You saw Linda Barker, Eddie yeah. the Eagle Edwards, and that man from um, uh, uh, Madrid, Barcelona. Jake. Yes. That's the one. <laughs> what, what was what was the atmosphere like inside that swimming arena? It was amazing to be fair. Like you say, when I first saw it on TV, I thought, hmm. Mm. When I was there, the atmosphere was incredible. Now, there are rumours, Lauren, it's going to come back for a second series. There are rumours that the uh, uh, second series will not be filmed in Luton. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. I believe it's meant to be at the Olympic Stadium. How does that make you feel as a Lutonian? Um, It's a shame because I think it did um, do very well in Luton. Um, so it will be a shame. Did you get to meet Vernon Kay? 
I did. I got his autograph. Did you? <laughs> I did. He's nice, Vernon, isn't he? I like Vernon. He is very good. I think he's. I think he's brilliant, and I think they give him. Um, quite often, they give him rubbish programs to do, which is a shame because I think he. <laughs> I think he's one of the best. Yeah, no, he worked very well with Gabby. They uh, worked well as a team. Laura, listen, lovely to talk to you. I'm glad you saw it. I'm glad you had fun. Thank you very much. She was at the final. I wouldn't have minded a bit of that. TV show... I tell you now, though, kids, when you go and see TV shows being filmed, it's always, um, it's always a bit dull. But when they're recorded, particularly live, it's slightly different. But when they're recorded, I went to see... Um, oh, I've seen loads, but have I got news for you? Oh, and it dragged on for hours. And it was... T- we, get the I- we get the idea, Merton. You go off on your flights of fancy and the other fella does the dry stuff. We get it. Yeah, very, very clever. Very clever indeed. Should we do the front page of the newspapers? Yes, why not? The Guardian. Police stop. What, sorry? Police stole dead children's IDs. Officers were given fake passports in names of deceased to create undercover aliases. Britain's largest police force stole the identities of an estimated 80 dead children and issued fake passports in their names for use by undercover officers. The Metropolitan Police secretly authorised the practice for officers infiltrating protest groups without consulting or informing the children's parents. Well, they're not going to consult the children's parents, are they? Really. You know, um, Stevie, can we use his name to undercover, uh, go undercover? It's, it's, that's not kind of how it works, does it? But I can see why people might be shocked by this. Um, Osborne warns banks, play by new rules or be broken up. Oh, this is a story. Look at this. Independent. Two stories on here. The first one, sick of your bank. Now you can switch account within a week by law. Um, uh, and, but then the front page story, the man who shook the toy world. The inventor of the Etch-A-Sketch, an enduringly popular mechanical toy that inspired creativity among generations of children, has died in Paris. Who thought the creator of the Etch-A-Sketch was still alive? Who, I, I just assumed he died in 1976, penniless. André Cassin, depicted on his invention, passed away at home last month, age 86, of undisclosed causes. Uh, initially sold... I, why is that... I'm, I'm really sorry. Why is that front-page news? Mr Rubik's passes away. Suddenly, I mean... No, I'm, I'm joking. Why would the inventor of a toy has passed away? Oh, dear. And then there's, uh, the, there's pictures of kids using an Etch-a-Sketch. Let's be honest, Etch-a-Sketch was fun for, like, Christmas morning, and then you never used it again. Absolute uh, front-page story. The Guardian are talking about the police using dead babies' names, and the blooming independent... Oh, the Etch-a-Sketch man's dead. Etch-a-Sketch was too hard. It was ridiculously hard. And then you'd see people on, on TV who'd done, like, the Mona Lisa. Rolf Harris would do the Mona Lisa on it. You go, oh, for goodness sakes... The Telegraph. Palace knife man tasered. There's a gentleman holding a knife to his throat. He gets tasered shortly after that. That'll teach him. (coughs) Excuse me. Archbishop challenges PM on gay marriage. The new Archbishop of Canterbury will today issue a challenge to David Cameron by voicing opposition to gay marriage. There you go. There's that picture of that skull. Uh, The Times. Sandy Hook survivors take to Super Bowl stage. Representing the 26 pupils shot dead in December... Sandy Hook School choristers listened to the national anthem before last night's Super Bowl. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, I don't know if that's right, is it? So these kids, and they are kids, what are they? Eight, nine, ten? No older than ten. I'd say eight or nine. Been through something more traumatic than most of us will thankfully ever experience. And then they go and they're kind of like prayed out on TV for the Super Bowl... Makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. 
Not quite sure why. I need to get my head around that and have a think about it a bit more. Uh, and Tory gay marriage rebels told you're out of touch. We'll have a look at the uh, mail, the express. Oh dear, in the sun a little bit. But before that, let's get the travel news now. 7.45 is Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still busy anti-clockwise on the M25, very slow following the earlier accident between 28 at the Brook Street Roundabout and 27 at the M11. Also again anti-clockwise between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. It's going to take you around uh, 50 minutes to get through that stretch, I'm afraid. The A1M also slow, still queuing following the earlier accident before Junction 7 at Stevenage with congestion back to 9 at Letchworth. All lanes have now been reopened. It's going to take you around half an hour to get through that stretch. And the M1 towards London have 25 minutes worth of delays between 11 at Dunstable and 9 at Redbourne. Usual delays on the Barnet Bypass and the Great Cambridge Road as well, all heading towards London this morning. And 40-minute delays on East Midlands trains between Bedford and St Pancras International. And on First Capital Connect as well on the Bedford to Brighton line, following overhead line problems along the line. Everything else not looking too bad this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Morning at 7.46. It's Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has told this programme her local authority jeopardised her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment in Aylesbury. A Bedfordshire widow has threatened to take her own life if something isn't done about the raw sewage which floods her garden whenever it rains. In sport, in rugby union six nations, Italy caused a shock... Um, as they beat France by 23 points to 18 in Rome. Coming up, actually, that, that script there says Italy caused a shock as they beat Italy. So I, I'm, I'm assuming they beat France. Let's, uh, fingers crossed. Coming up, what languages did you learn at school and how useful have they been? Be honest, French, German, maybe a bit of Spanish. When was the last time you actually used them? Do you know the way? Do you, do you know how to ask the way to the new townhouse? Well, the British Council is warning that the UK's ability to compete in the global economy is at risk for the next generation because of a lack of schools that teach the Chinese language. Before eight, we'll hear from a three counties mum whose daughter has started learning Mandarin from the age of four. But before all of that, let's get the weather. Here's Georgina Burnett. Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, we've got a mostly dry day today with some sunny spells after a cloudy start. But if you're travelling west, you may just encounter some wintry showers this afternoon. There is a cold wind out there as well. So although temperatures will be reaching 8 or 9 degrees Celsius, it's probably not going to feel that high, particularly in that wind when you get a, a gusty bit. And then tonight, it will be clear at first with some scattered showers joining us later on, which will sometimes be heavy and morphing into hail or snow at times with that wind strengthening and temperatures dipping down to minus one degrees celsius now there is a risk of ice tonight so i'll keep you posted if we have any warnings issued and tomorrow we'll have some sunny spells in between hail or snow showers which could be heavy at times and a bitter wind again with highs of six degrees celsius in fact that wind will be staying with us for the next few days as we have some unsettled wintry weather in between a few glimpses of sunshine a risk of gales on wednesday though so this is uh, georgina burnett for three counties radio thank you very much Georgina. 
tackling your consumer problems on BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't worry about that loan now. The whole amount has just been taken off. You don't owe a penny. Gosh, I can't believe this. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. This has been six years of hell. Fighting for your rights. You've done more in two weeks than I've done in six years. I can't thank you enough. You've fought it and you've won it. Well, you won it for me. Thank you so much, Jonathan. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. Call the team now. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Easily one of the top three presenters on radio anywhere. Not here, on radio, anywhere. He's brilliant, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I cannot recommend him highly enough. Now, Mandarin, it's a language our children should be learning. That's according to the British Council, who say more schools should offer it so we can compete in the global economy. This comes after a poll found only 3% of primary and 9% of secondary teachers say their schools offer the subject, which the council says is too few if we're going to have good relations with China. Our reporter, Sophie Solaria, met up with Dina Newson. Dina decided to send her daughter, Callie, to learn Mandarin from the age of just four years old. So my name is Callie. What's your Callie? And are you going to count? E, R, San, She's just been doing it just about a year now. So um, she started at a Chinese school in Hammersmith. And then when she started her new school, they actually offer Mandarin classes. So we decided to carry it on at her school. Why did you choose Mandarin as a subject for Callie to learn and not another language like Spanish or German? Well, when you think about it, Everyone, if they're going to learn a language, it's usually Spanish or German or French. And actually the biggest economy is going to be China. And you don't really ever hear of a child learning to speak Mandarin, so... That was quite forward-thinking of you as a parent. Well, we was actually um, on a holiday in Portugal and we was watching the BBC uh, World News and there was um, a programme on about it saying that, you know, uh, Mandarin is the the next language that a child should start learning, you know, because it's going to be the biggest economy. So when I got home, I started doing some research and, yeah. And so you've been doing it a year and you're five now, so you've been learning since you were four years old, Callie. Do you like learning Mandarin? Mm. What do you like doing? Talking Mandarin. Who will you talk to Mandarin in? My best friend, Ella, at school. She doesn't go, but I'm trying to teach her. What do you tell Ella? Me how. What does that mean? Hello. I'm looking at these textbooks that Kelly brought me out to look at, and these this writing's almost impossible to read. It's a very difficult language to be learning. Definitely. That's why I thought if you start them off at a young age, they don't go any different. Do you think that more schools should be doing it? Yes, definitely. When you think that to have Mandarin, we have to pay extra, but I do think that that actually should come as a option. Definitely, yeah. Everyone's listening back at BBC Three Counties Radio. I think you've got someone to say hello to. Come on, you say it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ni hao, Ian Lee. Yeah, ni hao to you, Callie. That's what I'm talking about. That's the future. You just heard the future there. And boy, oh boy, when, when China takes over the world, as it will do, right, and we are all poor without jobs, Callie is going to be the queen of, or the president of this country. Thank you, Callie. Well, David Knowles works for PRS Executive Search. They're an international recruitment company near Potton, Bedfordshire. And he works with people in China. Morning, David. Good morning. You've been to China to do business. Whereabouts do you go? 
Um, I've been twice in 2011, Shanghai once and Chongqing twice, but I also operate extensively and for 30 years in Hong Kong. Not that that's the same, it's not. No. How much Chinese do you speak? None. Excuse me? None. You don't speak any? No. How do you get by without it? Well, um, I, I employed the interpreters uh. when I went to Shanghai and Chongqing. And I found that that was the way um, to access uh, both uh, customers that the uh, UKT hired arranged for me to meet. Mm. I also found them very useful in getting around cities, particularly the second-tier city of Chongqing, which is huge. Um, having somebody to come with um, was a great benefit, even, I think, if I was fluent in Mandarin, whether I would have been able to find some of the customers that mm. uh, I was meeting, uh, I'd been arranged to meet, uh, I very much doubt. Do you not um, uh, think sometimes that the English uh, are accused of being a little bit lazy um, when it comes to, to going abroad, uh, in terms they don't even make the effort to learn the basics like hello and thank you. Do, do you know any of that? Do you know how to order food? No. What, in, in Mandarin? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm assuming you could do it in English. <laughs> well, absolutely, and I find that that's all I need. Really? I do speak a bit of German, and, I'm not, and I do agree with you that I think uh, we need to improve, radically improve the uh, amount of language uh, education in schools. I think it's lapsed. Mm. Um, so I'm not a, you know, a backwoodsman that says we shouldn't be <clears throat> improving our lang language education in schools. We should be. Whether um, it should be Mandarin, as opposed to any of the other BRIC countries, um, one could say that similarly, Brazil is an equally large economy, growing economy. Does that justify that Portuguese should be introduced to the curricula just as much as maybe Hindi, or indeed Russian, because the BRIC countries are the uh, growth countries, not just China. And these countries do change. Twenty years ago, um, it might have been suggested that Japanese should have been the mm. language introduced. So uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak of foreign, foreign languages. Of course we should. Um, but to focus on one particular language that happens to be popular because it seemed to be the world's great growth country um, is probably true now, but will it be in 20 years' time? David, fascinating. David Knowles, uh, PRS Executive Search. Um, he worked, he goes to China, been to China a couple of times, didn't need the language. I can hear Catherine Boyle upstairs rubbing her hands with glee. I don't need to, I, she's sending me lots of messages as that was going on. The messages that she sent me were, boom, kablam, pow. Basically, what she's saying is that her argument has been proved correct. Well, I don't think that's the case. I think that it is important that our young people learn, uh, learn Chinese, learn Mandarin. We can speak now to Jaya Skander Morthy. Morning, Jaya. Morning, Ian. Yeah, how, uh, do you do a lot of business in China? Uh, over the last two, three years, we have. Yeah, we've steadily grown our presence. What kind of business in China. What kind of business do you do, Joe? Well, we're, um, I'm from BRE, the Building Research Establishment, and uh, we're the UK's leading research-based consultancy in construction and the built environment. Do you speak Chinese? I personally don't. Uh, how do you manage to get by without it? Uh, with, I wouldn't say difficulty, but certainly it hasn't been easy. Um, right. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think the advantage is that a lot of the Chinese um, senior sort of officials and business people actually speak English 
very well. Isn't that a bit lazy on our part, though, Jaya, to, to just assume everybody's going to speak English? Absolutely. No, I, I, I completely concur with that. I think long-term, really, future for us is absolutely to learn Mandarin and really understanding a, a local, local presence Mm. Do you think that kids should be I- I encouraged to learn it? Because, they're, they're, you know, they're one of the, the, the ways of thinking at the moment is that in 50 years' time, America is not going to be a superpower, and it will be China. China will be the only superpower. Well, I think the way that China's growing, you know, I think everybody knows that it's going to be a major, major economic force by 2020. It's going to be probably the leading economy. So whether you want to do business in China or the Chinese want to do business in the rest of the world, I think there's, a, there's an important recognition that we need to at least appreciate and understand Mandarin um, for the long-term viability. But certainly for our kids, I think it's important for them to be ex- at least exposed to the language so that they can at least appreciate the differences. And, in, and if need be, at a later date in their career development, they can then decide if it's really uh, a priority for them. Can you do any um, Chinese? Can you can kind of ask directions or order a, a little bit of food? I can say yes, no, goodbye, hello, those sort of basic terms. But again, I think it, it sort of it is quite superficial at at at, at a very business level. Yeah. Um, but really, for long term partnerships and um, you know, if you really want to grow a presence in with Chinese companies and businesses, you do need to speak the local language and understand the culture very importantly. Jeff, thank you very much. Yeah, Scandamorthy from uh, BRE Building Research Establishment. Well, two kind of different opinions there. One saying, no, we don't need to, to learn it. And one saying, well, I can get by, but I can see in the long term, or actually, it might be quite, quite useful if I could. What do you think? What languages did you learn at school? The three common ones are French and German and maybe a bit of Spanish. Are they useful? Have you ever used them? My wife speaks Greek. She had Greek lessons when she was a kid and she hated it. Hated it. Uh, but it's useful because she's got family in Greece and we go out there every summer and she's... What's great about being with her is she, you'll get all these pervy Greek blokes kind of eyeing her up and talking all dirty about her and she'll pretend to be English. Then about five minutes into the conversation, she'll speak fluent Greek. The looks on their unshaven faces is incredible. Right, travel news now, Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Heading south at the moment on the A1M through Stevenage, it's still queuing following the earlier accident that happened just before Junction Nine, uh, Junction Seven, sorry, at Stevenage. Congestion is back to Junction Nine at Letchworth. Going to take you around half an hour to get through that stretch. London bound on the M1, 20-minute delays just around 11 at Dunstable as well, and anti-clockwise on the M25, delays of nearly an hour between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. Now on East Midlands trains, we have delays of 40 minutes in Bedford and St Pancras. Chris, all following overhead line problems at Elstree and Borehamwood, also affecting things on First Capital Connect on the Bedford to Brighton line. Everything else not looking too bad at all. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Coming up, more on that sewage story. And also, I want to hear your moving disasters. I'm moving on Friday. I'm so anxious. What, what, what could I have forgotten? And what went wrong when you did it? 08459 455 555. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good 
morning, it's 8 o'clock. I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, anorexia patient fights to stay in Aylesbury, Bedfordshire pensioner suicidal over sewage and the mystery of the king in the car park. BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has told this programme her local authority jeopardised her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment at an Aylesbury clinic. The local authorities say they had no option after a report from the Care Quality Commission highlighted major concerns about the facility's drug management and staff training. The patient says moving would have been dangerously unsettling. Roy Lilly is a former NHS chairman and now an independent commentator on health. This is serious and I think the, the, the PCT, the, the local people who buy our health care, of course they'll go soon and it'll be the GPs who'll have the problem, but if they say, look, this, this place isn't safe or it isn't right or it can't be fixed in the short term, then if you continue to send patients there and something went wrong, you and I will be having a very different conversation. The MP for South West Bedfordshire has vowed to intervene on behalf of a Tottenham pensioner driven to desperation by raw sewage. Connie Manning says she doesn't want to go on living with the problem that sees her garden flooded with waste every time it rains. Conservative Andrew Salou told Ian Lee she shouldn't have to. Well, I mean, that's just not on, is it, for um, a lady of that age who should be able to enjoy her, her home in peace and quiet and um, without this sort of worry. So I've got the message very clearly. I need to get back in touch with Anglian. Are you going to give them a call today, Mr Salou? Um, I... I will ring them, I will write to them, and uh, I'm more than happy to come back on your programme at a later date. The body of a man has been found in a stream in Aylesbury. A member of the public called the police at around half seven yesterday morning after finding clothes at the waterside off Oakfield Road. The body was found at ten to nine and is believed to be that of a 25-year-old local man. His family have been informed. The Chancellor, George Osborne, is to warn Britain's banks that they face being broken up if they fail to comply with new rules requiring them to separate their high street divisions from their riskier investment activities. In a speech today, he'll say his intention is to electrify the ring fence around those operations that are essential for individuals and businesses. Archaeologists will finally reveal today whether or not bones found under a council car park in Leicester are those of King Richard III. Experts have carried out extensive tests on remains discovered at the site, including comparing DNA samples with a known descendant of the king who was killed in battle in 1485. Experts say the find could prove to be one of the biggest archaeological discoveries of recent times. In sport, Premier League champions Manchester City are nine points behind the leaders Manchester United in the title race after drawing two all at home to Liverpool. Their goals were scored by Edin Dzeko and Sergio Aguero, who salvaged a point with a late equaliser. As for the weather, dry with sunny spells but windy with a top temperature of 8 degrees Celsius, that's 46 Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Here's something I wouldn't normally confess. I've just realised I haven't had a wash in two days. I know, isn't that? No, I know. No, I didn't yesterday because I got up with the kids at half five yesterday. And so, I, and I kind of just, then I, I forgot to have a shower. And then I'd normally have one before I go to bed and I didn't. And then this morning I was going to, it was just too cold to be naked. So at no point this morning have I been completely naked, apart from now. Uh, and so I'm a little bit dirty, I don't... <laughs> I've sprayed deodorant on, so, you know, I'm, I'm smelling fine. <laughs> Enjoy your breakfast. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show before JVS at nine o'clock, including an anorexic patient says she should have had the right to continue her NHS treatment at a clinic in Aylesbury, even though the centre received a damning report from the Care Quality Commission. I'll play you my exclusive interview with her next. 
sewage has been seeping from a Bedfordshire woman's garden for several years. She says it's hell. It's disgusting. Have a look at the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can see the, uh, the pictures and we'll find out why the problem has got that bad. Also, Team GB Olympic diving coach Andy Banks has claimed there will be a second series of the TV programme Splash. The first one has been filmed in Luton. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, is at the Inspire Centre to find out what you thought of it and are you disappointed that it's looking like the second series won't be in Luton? You can text in. We've had lots of texts this morning, but I'm afraid lots of texts without your name on. I will only read them out. And there's some good ones as well. I will only read them out... If you put your name on it, okay? 81333, start your text 3CR, put your name in there somewhere, or you can give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic patient says she should have had the right to continue her NHS treatment at a clinic in Aylesbury after funding was removed just before Christmas. Her local NHS service removed Ella, that's not her real name, from the International Eating Disorder Centre after a damning report by the Care Quality Commission at the end of last year. The Trust said it had no choice but to offer her care elsewhere. Speaking exclusively to BBC Three Counties Radio, Ella told me how she felt about going to the centre for treatment. I was terrified. I'd been in control of this for many years and I knew that if I went to a specialised place that control would be completely taken away from me and it was a very scary, scary thing. And how long did they recommend that you stayed there for? Um, Initially they said 120 days. Talk to me about some of the treatment that you received. What was your average day like? Um, To begin with I was on a nasal gastric tube so I was fed through a tube for about three weeks and I was on strict bed rest for three weeks because I was so ill. However, Ella said she quickly realised how they could help her. You see a psychologist twice a week. You see a psychiatrist once a week. You have um, food therapy issues every day where you get to talk about your problems with with a specialised therapist um, and just sort of deal with the deep-seated problems that you have. If you hadn't have gone in there, into the centre in Aylesbury, what do you think would have happened to you? Um, I would have probably not been here today. Then, in December, the Care Quality Commission, or CQC, published a report into the centre. In it, it said it had major concerns about certain aspects of the centre, the way it trained its staff, the way medicines were administered. Ella told me how she found out her treatment at the centre could be at risk. The Wednesday before Christmas, um, were we sort of notified that the CQC had been involved um, and the report was it was unsatisfactory. The day after... Um, we were told that the funding had been withdrawn and that we were to be out before Christmas, so we were to be out by the 24th of December. So that didn't leave you much time. It must have been quite... Obviously, it was a shock. How did it make you feel? Devastated, if I'm honest, and completely shocked. It came from nowhere. We had no idea. We'd known the CQC had inspected, but we had no idea of the outcome. As far as we were concerned, our care was was fine and our best interest was to stay there so it shocked me and it had a massive 
impact on me and not just me, my family as well. Ella says she understands this report was critical and could see why her trust would have a problem. But she feels pulling her out of the centre caused her more harm than good. The trust say it had no choice after all the evidence it has seen. She was offered another centre to complete her treatment and she told me why she didn't want that. I felt that going somewhere else at this stage of my recovery would be actually detrimental to me because it's a new model that they work on it would be new staff that I'd have to build relationships with and I felt that that was actually more detrimental than me um, staying where I was which is where I was happy and which is where I felt safe. And you went back to the centre is that right? I did choose to go back there privately um, because I felt that it was the best place for me after my surgery and I felt that um, in no way was my life at risk and it was the best place for me at the time and I did check that that would be okay and provided it wasn't being funded by them they were quite happy for me to go back there. Leanne Thorndike is from the charity The Beat. They help people with eating disorders. Morning Leanne. Hello, good morning. Are attitudes to eating disorders changing? Um, I think slowly, yes. There's still a lot of misunderstanding and stigmas that unfortunately surround eating disorders. A lot of people don't realise that they're a serious mental illness. Um, some people think it's just something that young teenage girls get. When oh, it's, it's attention-seeking, isn't it? That's what some people think. Some people say it's a fad, it's a diet gone wrong. You know, it's a serious mental illness. And we know, and we have people come forward every day, you know, young males, males of all ages, older women that are still in their 50s, 60s that may have had it for years or just developed it recently. Um, and it is very, very serious. You know, one in five of the most severely affected will die prematurely. And it's actually got the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So this, it needs to be taken seriously. The story does highlight, doesn't it, the problems that patients face in getting the right treatment? Yes, it does. I mean, we do have world-class treatment in this country. We really do. But there's just not enough. Um, waiting lists are often far too long. Um, and really more sort of emotional support is needed for sufferers and more awareness. You know, awareness helps as well. Um, GPs need to have a better understanding. Um, there's still probably not sufficient training sort of given to those in the first point. And we always say to people, and you're, you know, at the first point, go to your GP and talk to them. Um, and then, as Ella has said, she was actually admitted, which is, you know, often what happens to the most severe cases, you know, are admitted to an inpatient unit for treatment. These residential stays, are, are they just for the most serious cases? And what happens there? Well, the, most people will be treated in the community, their GP, a community mental health team, um, often people with outpatient treatment. But for the most severe cases where someone's physical health is, you know, at risk or maybe they've not um, made progress in the community or outpatient, then, you know, inpatient care is necessary, which means they will be admitted, um, could be in a hospital, a special eating disorders unit, as Ella was describing. Um, and really, you know, we would say that that is the last resort and doctors and therapists will take every effort to avoid that um but it can be because you know there's a medical risk you know there could Mm. be medical problems i mean ella talked about being tube fed so obviously she was very seriously ill um so that can be the reason why people get admitted and you mentioned doctors there and ella spoke about how hard it was to find a doctor who took her problem seriously that surprises me in 2012 2013 that there are still doctors who perhaps aren't as, as as helpful as we'd like to imagine they could be 
Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, we do hear stories from people that, you know, didn't get on well with their GP or they had to sort of persevere. But we would say, you know, don't take no for an answer. Um, maybe go with someone if you're worried. This could be the first time someone's spoken about it. So it's a really big deal. It's a really hard thing to do. You know, be, write, maybe write down some points that you would like to discuss with them. And if you want to discuss anything first, I mean, Beat runs helplines that you can get advice before you go. Um, so that can often be useful. But, you know, just... You know, anything you want to talk about, just make sure you, 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 know, you cover it with your GP and then you can start that road to recovery. Because what we would say is the sooner someone gets the help they need, the more likely they are to make a full recovery. People with eating disorders, though, are, don't, quite often don't realise that they're ill, do they? No, it's true. They think what they're doing is perfectly normal. Yeah, I mean, by its nature, it is a very secretive illness, and it can be some time before the person themselves fully understands what they're going through, um, or their family pick up things. Um, often people are in denial. Um, so, you know, we would say, you know, find out about eating disorders if you're worried about yourself or if you're worried about someone else don't be afraid to talk to them about it you know reach out to them you know you may not get a good response the first time or they may say you know no i don't know what you're talking about but persevere and you know the sooner like i said the sooner someone gets some help and you can help someone get that help very early on um in their illness and then hopefully make a full recovery leanne fantastic thank you for talking to us leanne thorndyke from the charity the beat they help people with eating disorders you google that and i'm sure you'll find all the details ella's local authorities in Worcestershire, the Midlands and East Specialised Commissioning Group, who commission these services on behalf of the West Midlands Primary Care Trust, says following discussions with the three patients from Worcestershire about the concerns raised by the CQC, it was agreed they should be moved into alternative accommodation at the earliest opportunity. Uh, In this situation we had to balance immediate patient safety against the proposed long-term goals. The CQC told us we've carried out a follow-up inspection and our findings will be published in due course. We have evidence to show this place had serious concerns. We did try and ca- uh, speak to the uh, centre, but they weren't available for comment. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. So what languages did you learn at school? We should all be learning Mandarin. It's going to be the language of the future. Uh, Fee and Luton, well done, Fee. You've put your name on. You see, that's all you have to do. Put your name on and then we know who it's from. I agree with you, Ian. It's important for children in the UK to learn languages, especially for business communication. I've travelled a lot in Africa, and especially in North Africa, children as young as seven come up to you trying to sell chewing gum or little items to help their family. The children speak to me in several languages until I respond. One child I spoke to could speak seven languages. He told me he learnt by watching TV and radio. I think they're amazing. I can converse in French because of school and trips there and Danish because I did my, uh, part of my degree there. Wow. See, I don't think there's any point in learning French. I don't think... Why would we want to learn French? Really? What, 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 what benefit? It used to be, oh, they're our nearest neighbours. They're, they're our nearest neighbours. Well, we don't need to learn French. It serves no purpose. It's a pointless language. The French language is only going because the French government insists that 90% of their radio output and TV output is French or something ridiculous like that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. What languages did you learn at school? And really, have you ever found them anything approaching useful? Travel news now. Sophie Tyler at 8.15. 
Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Starting on the motorways London bound on the M1, we have delays between 12 at Flittick and 9 at Redbourne. It's going to take you around half an hour to get through that stretch. Anti-clockwise on the M25, also delays of an hour between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. And also anti-clockwise on the M25, again, more delays between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Now, the Barnet Bypass heading south, still looking slow between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. And the A40 Abbey Way flyover in High Wycombe is looking like it is very heavy this morning in both directions, actually, just past the university at the bottom of Marlow Hill. Now, on the trains, we have delays of 40 minutes on the East Midlands services between Bedford and St Pancras and on First Capital Connect on the Bedford to Brighton line. So following earlier overhead line problems at Elstree and Boreham Wood. So do check before you travel. Everything else on the trains and tubes not looking too bad at all. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Morning, it's 8.16. It's Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has accused her local authority of jeopardising her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment at an Aylesbury clinic. The MP for South West Bedfordshire has vowed to intervene on behalf of a Tottenham pensioner driven to desperation by raw sewage. In sport, Italy caused a shock as they beat France by 23 points to 18 in Rome. I have no idea what that sport is. Do you have any idea? No, no, don't look at me. OK, just in sport. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Dry with sunny spells, but windy with a top temperature of 8 degrees. Coming up before 8.30, we'll find out more about the shocking story that a Bedfordshire pensioner has faced years of having raw sewage seeping into her garden. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer on BBC Three Counties Radio. No two days are ever the same on my programme. That's because I get to meet passionate local people. As usual, over a pint in the Queen's Head one night in Amtoo, we said, hey, why don't we have a a pop-up cinema? And we just got together and we convert Parkside Hall into a cinema. Play loads of great music. The Birds, Mr Tambourine Man. Tell me which other show on the radio goes from Leanne Rhymes to Elvis Presley. And sometimes I try to learn new skills. And then you've got the white thread basically connected to these bobbins, which... Don't make... rubble, oh, don't mess them up. Did. I do. may have messed them up. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Right. Don't... Uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is in the studio. <laughs> don't... Um, invite my wife round for supper, <laughs> but say, don't bring your husband. Don't do... Why would you do that? Well, you say... You've said yourself, you don't like really being invited out places. You don't like socialising. No. Your wife seems such a nice person. I've never met your wife, but she seems so nice she on is. Twitter. She we, has... We chat. She seems such a sociable person. I invited her around. I said, leave him at home. Why would He's you... a bit weird. He doesn't like to come out and socialise. He makes a big thing about it. That's rude. Yes, but you say yourself you don't like to socialise. If I don't socialise, she doesn't socialise. Well, she seems a very sociable person. What would you, um, what would you give her? Well, I think I might, uh, I might whip up the new Nigella dish I did this weekend. Nice bit of, does she like a bit of steak? I think she does, doesn't she? I'll do steak with tomatoes. (coughs) And some of my chunky roasties. (laughs) (laughs) That's better than what you said to me off air, so that's good. Can we go into yours, what you're doing, or do I need to play a jingle to get us out of this fun? Uh, uh no, no, it's okay, I can, oh. make, I can make the link, I think. Away you go. 
Uh, on the big phone in this morning from nine, I'm, dr- I'm slightly dreading asking this question around you, actually. Do you agree with Chris Grayling that smacking's okay? Did you hear this yesterday? No. What the Justice Secretary, Chris Grayling, yeah. has defended smacking. Has he? In an article in the Mail on Sunday, he yeah. said he smacked his own children yeah. and he defended the rights of other parents to use this form of punishment. Okay. It's very rare you hear someone in the government actually come out and say... Yeah smacking's okay so from nine this morning i want to hear your views do you agree with chris grayling this is the the justice secretary mm. so he does kind of have a have a job that's that's quite applicable to this subject i want to hear your views from nine do you agree with him that smacking's okay it's very interesting i tweeted this about 20 minutes ago oh. already i have a tweet referring to beating <laughs> no no it's not okay to beat no. your child no. Sorry, I'm not talking about beating. No. I'm talking about smacking from nine. Why do people always have to make the link? If you smack your child, it means you beat your child. Mm. No, the two are quite different, mm. aren't they? How would Chris Grayling like it if someone who was three times as big as him mm. grabbed him by the arm, lifted him up onto his toes, pulled his trousers and pants down and slapped his bum? He's not a child, is he? It's different. It's Children, different. it's a learning process. No, it's not. It's not. If you, if you hit a child... If you beat a child, if you hit a child, you've lost the argument. You you nearly had to resort to the beating line. I nearly, I, well, I nearly had to hit my... I, no, I didn't. I can understand how parents who haven't got the intelligence to discuss things with their children could resort to, to hitting a child. I, 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 at the weekend, I was very frustrated with my boy when he wouldn't put the plug back in the bath. And I said, if you don't put that plug back in the bath, you are not watching the Octonauts with me ever again. And he got the plug and pretended it was a sword and went, I'm swording you, daddy. I hate you. And I can understand how a thick parent could hit a child in that instance. But that's, but not, that's not worthy of a smack. He was being a child. little so-and-so. Really? Yeah, he was having a tantrum and he was, he was, hit, he was hitting me. When I was a child, yeah. I was what my parents used to call spirited. And sometimes I'd wake up in the foulest of moods and I'd decide it'd be rather fun to smash the house up. Right. So I'm quite sure if my father was here, he would argue with you that unless it was for a hefty smack, nothing would have stopped me. Right. Were you smacked as a child? I used to be a biter, and I bit my sister, and I remember being uh, five years old, and I bit the cat and threw the cat downstairs. Oh. And my mum rolled up my sleeves... I bit you. Bit me. Yeah. Yeah. Did it work? Well, I never did it again, so yes... In yes, that, you see. Well, it worked in that respect, but I'm wondering if I could sue her retrospectively over that. Well, that your mother bit you? Yeah, I feel really sad. My mother used to, she used to smack me around the face. When I got to a certain age, and a smack on the bottom wouldn't work, I used to get a slap around the face... Like in Coronation Street, until I got so big I could grab her wrists. Why are you looking at me with utter horror? This is horrific, horrific, isn't it? This is a horrific story you're telling me. Listen, when you are... when Your mother would slap your face until you got big enough to grab her wrists. (laughs) Yeah, I could be a very horrible 14 or 15-year-old lad. Very horrible 42-year-old man. I, uh... I know I could be terrible. Look, I've got a radio show to do. What, well, what, yeah, from nine, please call. I want to hear from you. Do you agree with Chris Grayling that smacking's okay? I'm confused as to what you think now. I thought you'd be very clear. Thanks very much. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number if you want to speak to Jonathan. 
always worth a listen. It's a, sometimes the show gets me angry. I suspect that will happen this morning. Now, imagine what it must be like to live with raw sewage seeping from your garden for years. Well, that's exactly what's happening in a Bedfordshire widow's home. She says it's been hell. Heavy rain triggers the problem and leaves puddles of sewage outside Connie Manning's property at Tottenhoe and it floods the lawn. Our reporter, Jessica Cooper, visited Connie to find out the extent of the problem. It's been hell, simply because the doggies want to go out. And um, no, that's, that's quite an effort, keeping those two in. And an extra walking for me to take them out. But it's just the fact of just looking out into the garden and all your hard work for weeks and weeks, which I love. I love my garden. And it just looks like a heap of floating water with ghastly, ghastly, huge pancake patches of other people's... I don't know what what word to use, but Mm. I think one uses the imagination to understand what I'm talking about and things that should never be in there. And horrified when the dogs have to pad over that or I have to get to the shed or open the garage door. It's horrendous. How has it been making you feel then? If you've been having to look at this for five years, out your window every day, what does it make you feel like? Well, it's sort of on and off for five years, not sort Mm. of five years. I couldn't, I I wouldn't be here. (laughs) But, um, well, horrendous. I don't know another word for it, actually. I just want to run away. And that's it. I, I don't know what to do. Sorry. That's okay. Don't worry. What do you want to be done? What would make this better for you? Obviously, the water sucked up, and all the I, I want it to, so that there's no germs left there. Because I, I I want to go out there and pick hold of things of being near that or in it or something, and I just want it back how it should look because it's a beautiful garden and I work hours in it. Connie's son Nick told Jessica what it's like for him trying to help his mum. Well, can you imagine how distressing that is for me? Um, she lost her husband October the 1st, which was, you know... But I remember the nurses coming in. They had to tread, you know, go through all the uh, debris of sewage sometimes to, to care for my father when he was alive. I mean, this, this is just a human situation here that just no-one should have to be to put up with. And I asked, in, um, I asked over Christmas whether my, my mother could be rehoused, and I had no feedback from that whatsoever. If Anglia and Water are listening to this, what would you say to them? Well, if Anglia and Water are listening to this, I mean, this is just not acceptable. And how you can treat a human being like this, I do not know. I know it's a one, one instant, and they're probably dealing with lots of cases throughout the country or whatever. But in a situation like this, no one can live in this sort of situation. And my mother is at the stage now where she doesn't want to live because of this. And I'm... I'm now acting on her behalf to actually try and get something sorted about this. You can see the pictures, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. In a statement, Anglia Water said they previously started work on a permanent fix, but a landowner made it difficult by denying access. The company says it will complete the work as soon as possible and will keep a temporary pumping solution until then. Well, we can get an expert opinion now. We can talk to Jeremy Hall, who's from Moody Sewage Limited, a sewage and draining service company which covers the south of England. Morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Ian. When sewage seeps up through someone's garden what's it caused by right well ian i'm just looking at the facebook photos in front of me now and um from someone who who spends their life looking at sewage problems this is a horrendous amount of sewage which is 
surrounding Connie's garden. So my heart really does go out to her on this. It, it, it's, as I said, from our professional point of view, this is a horrendous exercise. Um, in terms of what can actually cause this, um, there's a number of things which we need to take into consideration. Number one is that it's clear from looking at the pictures and from looking at the other statements that this always happens when it's rained. So it's likely to be one of the following. It could, it could either be that pipe work could be partially obstructed or blocked, um, which would lead to the heavy flood, flooding under uh, heavy flow conditions. Um, it could be that the overall infrastructure is too small and not able to cope with the increased amounts of sewage flowing down when it rains. Um, or it could be that further down the system, pumping stations could be damaged. So it's likely to be one of those three things. Well, so the first thing, if it's, if it's damaged pipes, and I, I guess that can be fixed at some point, if it's the, the, the station that's doing something wrong, that, that, I guess that could be sorted out. Yeah. But if the system just isn't coping with the number of properties there, is there anything that could be done? There is, yes. Um, it's, it's not uncommon to see infrastructure being too small for today's capacities um, when it comes to when it comes to sewage management within the within the network there are still systems designed to flood and discharge sewage under these heavy flow conditions one of the um, one of the popular ways in which the water board tries to manage the solutions is is to install a, a sub system sub stands for sustainable urban, uh, sorry sustainable urban drainage system and it basically involves installing a very very large tank that when it rains really heavily all the water goes into this tank and then of course when it stops raining this water is then pumped out at a, at a slower rate back through existing infrastructure sort of as an attempt to try and get the infrastructure to 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 take the increased amounts of flow and in the majority of cases this is quite successful and looking at the problems that that, that connie um is experiencing this could certainly be one of those things Jamie, I don't know if you're married or if you've got a partner or what, but when you go home and you stink, yes. does your other half say, you are not coming anywhere near me, Hall, until you've gone up and out of bars? <laughs> um, what normally happens is that I have to stand by the back door and she gets the jetter out oh, and, man. And, and gives me a wash down, and only then am I allowed to come in. Good, good for her. Do you, <laughs> have you ever been down... I'm assuming you go down into the sewers and stuff, do you? Uh, yes, I've been down all sorts of sewers. I've been down the Brighton sewers, um, some of the London sewers. Um, but uh, yes, yes, we get to see all all sorts of bits. And one of the main consultants at Moody Sewage, it, it is really my job to go and problem solve these sort of these sort of issues. One of my ambitions, and maybe you can help with this, and it has been it's genuinely an ambition of mine, is to go down into a sewer. How do I arrange that? The thing you could go and talk to. Um, I mean, the Brighton sewers. Um, are pretty good to go and see the Victorian. They're very, very good. And you can actually get guided tours. Um, my father, who was also involved in drainage, believe it or not, took, oh. um, took Keith Chegwin around the Brighton sewers. <laughs> <laughs> Chegwin has been there. Is there, anywhere, <laughs> is there anywhere in Luton or in the three counties, if Jeremy? You, I mean, the only way that you can do it, Brighton's quite good because you can go and get a guided tour. I'm yeah. not entirely sure if Anglian Water do such tours, but I think that, um, I think that some of the major cities up there as well have, have very formidable um, sewers that you can go and look around. And it's just a case of seeing if they do do guided tours because... You know, like yourself, some people are fascinated as to where things go when, when, when we pull the chain of oh, I want to go and have a look. Jeremy, listen, thank you. I genuinely, I, I, honestly, Jeremy Hall there from uh, Moody Sewage Limited. I know it's a weird thing. I'm genuinely fascinated by sewers. In London, there are huge, in the London sewers, right, where men can stand up, there are huge, massive icebergs of fat that block the sewers. This is true. They're huge, right? They're the size of a bus. And men have to go and chip away... Oh, like that. At these blocks of fat to try and break it down. Doesn't that sound wonderful? 
What a romantic life. 8.30, travel news, Sophie Tyler. Maybe me and Jonathan could go and chip away at the fat in a sewer. Be good. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Heading south on the M1, we have delays to Newport Pagnell Services and Junction 14 at Milton Keynes. Also slow again between 11 at Dunstable and 9 at Redbourne. Anti-clockwise on the M25, delays of nearly an hour between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. The Barnet Bypass still looking slow at the moment, heading south between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. And in High Wycombe, the A40 Abbeyway flyover. Very heavy this morning, actually, in both directions, just past the University at the bottom of Marlow Hill. Now we still have delays of 20 minutes on East Midlands trains and First Capital Connect on the Bedford to Brighton line, still following overhead line problems between Elstree and Borehamwood. The rest of the trains aren't looking too bad at all and the tubes are looking good on the local live departure boards. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. A little bit later than normal, 8.31. Here's the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. An anorexic woman has accused her local authority of jeopardising her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment at an Aylesbury clinic. The MP for South West Bedfordshire has vowed to intervene on behalf of a Tottenhoe pensioner driven to desperation by raw sewage. And archaeologists will finally reveal today whether or not bones found under a council car park in Leicester are those of King Richard III. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Watford manager Jan Franco Zola described himself as pleased and proud after another win at the weekend. The Hornets came from behind to beat Bolton 2-1 at Vicarage Road. Watford are now one point from an automatic promotion position in the Championship. Here's boss Jan Franco Zola. You needed a lot of uh, character as well, as long, uh, along with the, with the quality and uh, also coming back from one goal down. And uh, It's a game in which we've shown a lot of uh, maturity and that's what we need uh, to you know, keep pushing until the end. Uh, on what we're doing. MK Dons have slipped down to 11th in League One after their 3-0 defeat at home to Bournemouth. The Dons had striker Ryan Lowe sent off in the first half. Stevenage are now down to 15th in League One after another home defeat. The Borough lost 1-0 against Orient. Boss Gary Smith had his worst fears confirmed. And I thought we saw all the signs of a group of players that hadn't played for a while, which certainly was hoping weren't going to happen. Goal in 10 minutes for them. Sloppy goal from our point of view. Gives them a, a lift and makes our life that much more difficult. Good response, but not enough. In the Blue Square Bet Premier, Luton Town are now 7th after their 1-0 defeat at Barrow. The Hatters also had Lathaniel Rowe-Turner sent off. Amtil Town are through to the FA Vars quarter-final after their 3-0 win over Enfield. And this evening, Wickham Wanderers are away to League 2 title contenders Gillingham. In Rugby Six Nations Championship, England got off to a good start with a 38 points to 18 win over Scotland. Billy Twelvetrees, who had a spell on loan at Bedford, scored a try on his debut. And Saracens winger Chris Ashton also got one. In the LV Cup, Saracens are through to the semi-final after beating Worcester by 22 points to 12. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Oh, bless you. You're getting more and more bunged up as the show goes on. I know, I'm out of Lensip. Other drinks are available. Yeah, but that's a good one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Uh, Radio. Don't come near me, Boyle. I don't want it. I don't want it. I've got a really busy week coming up. I can't afford another cold. Coming up in the last 26 minutes of the show before JVS at nine, there will be a second series of Splash, but it's unlikely it's going to be filmed in Luton. Benidorm star Jake Canuso was the runner-up. He'll be on this show before nine o'clock to give us all the gossip. And should your kids or grandkids be learning Chinese? 
The British Council thinks so. We'll speak to an economist to find out whether it's worth it. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, Marks and Spencer were warned that their customers and staff may have been put at risk from asbestos contamination more than 10 years ago. Uh, but 10 years before a judge handed down a record fine for health and safety breaches. A health and safety manager working for one of its contractors has told the BBC's Inside Out that he wrote to the then chairman of the company in 1998 warning that refurbishments work, uh, sorry, refurbishment work at the company's flagship store in Marble Arch was breaching rules on the removal of asbestos. In 2011, the company was fined a million pounds following a prosecution brought by the Health and Safety Executive as a result of work at its store in Reading. To tell us more is Chris Jackson from Inside Out. Good morning. Chris, tell us about this warning. Well, William Wallace, a safety manager working for the contractor, wrote his letter after what he says were a series of breaches at Marble Arch recorded in the logs left between shifts. The logs make alarming reading. One from April 1998 describes how cladding had been stripped with a sledgehammer and says asbestos is everywhere. The night shift workers record that it's the third occasion in a week where they've had to clean up after a dangerous occurrence. Later, one contractor describes how he should legally report more instances of broken asbestos being left lying around. Mr Wallace says he was horrified. There were minefields, asbestos minefields, for the want of a better expression. You could not have guaranteed the safety of anybody, the workers, the staff, the customers, You could not have given a 100% guarantee that those people were safe. So what did Mr Wallace do about it? Well, he says he tried to raise the alarm but became frustrated, so he wrote to the then chairman of Marks & Spencer, Sir Richard Greenbury. Three days later, senior managers invited him to a meeting. He showed them the logs and set out his concerns. He was promised there would be a full inquiry. Steve Rowe, a Marks & Spencer board member, explains what happened next. On the face of those allegations, they sound worrying. But our team at the time, 15 years ago, thoroughly investigated them on the the days. They thoroughly investigated them some three months afterwards. And again, I've spoken to those individuals and can find no case whatsoever to to say that any member of staff or any member of the public was put at risk. So was that the end of the issue then? Sadly, no. In 2006, some eight years later, Mr Wallace was once again horrified by what he saw, this time at the Reading store as it was being refurbished. The health and safety executive took the company to court. One witness who gave evidence has spoken to the BBC. He asked not to be identified for fear of being blacklisted by the construction industry. The witness, a construction worker, told the court how he was overruled by Marks and Spencer managers after he ordered that fans in the ceiling void should be turned off to avoid circulating dust which might contain asbestos. The witness told the court he returned to work to find the fans had been turned on again on the instruction of the M&S managers to prevent food refrigerators overheating. On another occasion, he described how he saw dust from the asbestos ceiling falling on a shop assistant stacking pre-packed sandwiches. Construction workers warned her to move. The night manager, responsible for uh, the refilling of the shelves, uh, came and went absolutely ballistic at us and told us that we don't tell his staff where to go and he sent her back to go and fill the sandwiches which would at that point have been covered in asbestos dust. So what was the verdict? Well, in 2011, the judge imposed a £1 million fine plus costs. His Honour, Judge Christopher Harvey Clark, said there'd been a systemic failure by Marks & Spencer management and their response to asbestos safety complaints was to turn a blind eye to what was happening because the asbestos work was 
already costing the company too much. The judge said that contractor staff and shoppers have a right to be anxious as to whether they have breathed asbestos fibre and what effect that might have on their well-being and future. What do Marks and Spencers have to say? Well, Marks and Spencer described the judge's comments as disappointing and say they were let down by their contractors. Two contractors were fined in relation to the Reading store and one for safety breaches at the company's Bournemouth store. Here's Steve Rowe. M&S has never, ever put profit before safety. Uh, there wasn't a blind eye. Uh, our investigations were full and thorough. Uh, we had a very good policy which the judge described as sensible and practical. The implementation of uh, policy wasn't good at Reading and we're very sorry about that. We regret it. Uh, so we're disappointed by those judges' comments. Well, clearly asbestos uh, rings alarm bells these days. You would not expect store workers, though, to come into contact with asbestos, would you? No, but there is some evidence that they did. It's worth remembering it can take 40 years for the condition to develop. We know of cases of a night watchman in Ashton-under-Lyne and an assistant in Folkestone who've both been compensated by Marks & Spencer. Both have sadly died from mesothelioma. Now, in this region, we heard about Peter Pepping from Milton Keynes, who was a warehouse manager at M&S from the 1960s to the 1990s. Peter was diagnosed with an asbestos-related condition in 2010 and died last year year before he could launch his compensation case. Here's Peter's daughter, Nikki. He described um, people working, smashing down ceilings, taking cladding off walls and columns, and all of that, um, as he described to me, was, was made of asbestos. And they would just have a sheet, a dust sheet up between the shop floor that was still open and the warehouse or the bits that they were developing at the time. Marks & Spencer says society didn't always understand the risks and, in the case of its staff, it's paid compensation, although it doesn't accept responsibility for contractors who didn't just work in Marks & Spencer stores who, in some cases, have been compensated by their companies. It's adamant that despite the judge's ruling in the Reading case, its policies regarding asbestos are industry-leading and no-one, staff, contractors or customers is at risk today. Chris, thank you very much indeed. You can see Inside Out and that report tonight, BBC One at 7.30. If you get um, the, the BBC London, because they have different regions, don't they? Um, blow my own trumpet a little bit, I might as well. If you get the Inside Out uh, from London, uh, you get to see me doing a report on the London underground map. It's better than it sounds. Also, you get to see me with a massive big red spot on my chin. It's awful. It, I, I saw it the other day, and it's, it is actually genuinely fascinating. Again, it's that whole kind of history uh, thing. It's about Harry Beck, who, who designed the London Underground map. But I've got a massive spot on me. I look awful. Hopefully you won't notice. Now, Splash, Saturday. It was the final Eddie the Eagle Edwards won. And uh, it's been filmed at the Inspire Centre in Luton. There will be a second series, but there are rumours that it won't be filmed in Luton. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, is there. Morning, Sophie. Good morning. What happened on Saturday? 49-year-old Eddie the Eagle wowed the judges, as you said. He was voted winner of Splash by the public with, with what I've been told, two fantastic dives. He landed perfectly with his first dive and took a maximum of 30 points for the two-and-a-half somersault from the 10-metre board, which I've seen, Ian. It is really it's high. Too high. It's too high, Sophie. There's no need for a board to be that high. And apparently, Eddie is so impressed with his new skill that he wants to thank Tom Daly by teaching him a skill in return. Oh, the Eddie the Evil ski jump. Yeah, that's Lucky probably Tom. probably not the best idea, I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> How has the series been received? 
Well, Eddie's victory was watched by 6.5 million people on Saturday night, which means it was the most watched programme that night, pulling in an average of 23.8% of the audience viewers, which I think surprised critics who were doubtful of its success at the beginning. And it's also sparked rumours of a second series, of course. It looks like, as you say, there's going to be a second series. What do we know about that, Sophie? Well, Andy Banks, who was uh, the Team GB's Olympic diving coach and head judge on Splash, has said on Twitter that the show will definitely run for another series. However, ITV are yet to confirm that news. If it does run again, though, we're not certain it will be here in Luton's Inspire Centre. In fact, there are claims that the show may move to the Aquatic Centre instead at the Olympic Park in London, which might be a shame. Well, that will be a shame, I think. I I can kind of see why. You've been out speaking to people have you i have mixed reviews here at the luton inspire center this morning take a listen to some of the people i spoke to i've just stopped you coming out of the swimming pool it's early to be swimming yes my daughter's doing um uh which swims with team luton so we were sort of up there but i do tend to go swimming myself sometimes just because it helps with work really and speaking of swimming of course splash was filmed here at your local swimming pool did you watch it yourself Yes, I did. Most weeks. Um, I think it got better as it went along, really. Um, I enjoyed it towards the end. How did you feel about it being here at Inspire? It didn't really affect me too much. Um, I could still swim and um, I was hoping it might bring a little bit more sort of interest from people um, to the pool um, because obviously it cost a lot of money for them to build. So hopefully they won't put our council tax up if obviously they can uh, make use of the resources more. So. Do you think it's should have been a bit more public as to the fact that it was here at Inspiring Luton? Possibly, yeah. I don't know whether people knew so much it was at Luton, really, and obviously the training was done at another pool, wasn't it, previously? Would you welcome it back here for a second series? I don't mind, but I think they're going to use the Olympic pool, I, I believe, but, yeah, um, I wouldn't, wouldn't bother me, no. I think it would be nice, so... But sadly, I didn't get any tickets. <laughs> I stop you as you're coming out of the swimming pool today. Yes. Um, you were a fan of Splash, were you? I think the programme was OK as a one-off. As a one-off. So if you were to hear that it was coming back for a second series, how would you feel? Not impressed. Why would you not be impressed? Uh, because I think it's a council trying to raise money by renting out services we're already paying for. Do you feel that your membership was abused by the fact that they were using it? Well, yeah, it meant I couldn't go swimming when I wanted to go swimming. So two days a week, it caused a lot of... Uh, uh, congestion as well on the days when it was open because people couldn't go in the uh, other days. You don't think it was a good thing for Luton to raise awareness? I think as a one-off, yeah, it raised a little bit of awareness of Luton, but I say I think at the end of the day it's the council trying to raise money at services we're paying for. Uh, Hazel Simmons has done quite a good blag job on it, trying to say she'll spend the money. My understanding is they've made over £100,000 per episode. Uh, and there's no way they'll spend that back in the diving facilities in there. And the other thing is they rant on about how fantastic this facility is. Look at the training facility at South End that was shown in Splash, where they had three pools, uh, they had the slides and all the rest of the stuff. So actually, yeah, it's nice, new, whatever, but it's not out of this world. It's not Olympic class. I don't think a slide is a prerequisite to make it Olympic class, is it? I always thought that was a luxury. I like slides. I love the, who love it. We all love the water slides. Does it make it um, Olympic standard? I'm not completely sure. Sophie, thank you very much for that. Later on, um, we're going to hear uh, from uh, Benidorm star Jake Canuso, who was the runner-up. We're going to find out why on earth he did it. I think we know why. It was a big check, of course. But I, I, I wonder if he... Did he jump off the 10 metre? I missed the final. It's on Sky Plus. I'll be watching it later. 
through it now that I know that Eddie the Eagle Edwards wins it. Travel news, Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're all looking much the same at the moment. Problems on the motorways this morning. Southbound on the M1 through Milton Keynes. It is slow just between the Newport Pagnell Services and Junction 14 at Milton Keynes. Also slow again between 11 at Dunstable and 9 at Redbourne. Anti-clockwise on the M25. Slow as well with an hour's worth of delays between 21A at St Albans all the way through to 15 at the M4. And fairly start-stop as well between 27 at the M11 and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. The A1 at Barnet Bypass heading south through Boreham still sloped in Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus and the A40 Abbey Way flyover also heavy this morning in High Wycombe just past the university at the uh, bottom of Marlow Hill delays of around 20 minutes on East Midland services between Bedford and St Pancras International and also delays of 20 minutes on the Bedford to Brighton line on First Capital Connect following the uh, overhead wire problems at Elstree and Borehamwood everything else not too bad at all this morning Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio Thank you very much, Sophie. Morning, it's 8.47. It is Monday the 4th of February. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. An anorexic woman has accused her local authority of jeopardising her recovery by withdrawing funding for her treatment at an Aylesbury clinic. The MP for South West Bedfordshire has vowed to intervene on behalf of a Tottenhoe pensioner driven to desperation by raw sewage. In sport, Premier League champions Manchester City are nine points behind the leaders Manchester United after they were held to a two-all draw at home to Liverpool. Coming up, as we've heard, there is going to be a second series of Splash, but unlikely it'll be filmed in Luton. Benidorm star Jake Canuso was the runner-up. He'll be on this show before nine o'clock to give us all the gossip. But before that, here's the weather with Georgina Burnett. Beds, Hearts and Bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. Well, we've got a largely dry day today with some sunny spells to look after, uh, look after even. Um, sorry, to look forward to, sorry, uh, after a cloudy start. If you are travelling west, though, you may encounter some wintry showers this afternoon and there's quite a cold wind out there. So although the temperatures are going to reach 8 or 9 degrees Celsius, it's not going to feel that high. And tonight it will be clear at first and then we have some scattered showers, which will be quite heavy and even thundery with some hail or snow mixed in coming our way. And that wind will start to strengthen even further with temperatures dipping down to minus one degree celsius so there is a risk of ice i'll keep you posted if we have any warnings issued and tomorrow we'll have some sunny spells in between hail or snow showers which could be heavy at times and that bitter wind stays with us with temperatures reaching six degrees celsius in fact wind is the story for the next few days it's going to be with us along with some rather um you might say unsettled wintry weather. This is Georgina Burnett for Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Georgina. Mark Forrest, weeknights from seven on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if we haven't met yet, I'm the new guy on from seven on weekday evenings. Here's the promise. Lively and engaging discussion. Remarkable people with extraordinary stories to tell. All wrapped up in the best music from the last five decades. It's new, it's different, and I think you'll like it. Mark Forrest, weeknights from seven on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Now, I thoroughly enjoyed Splash. I've not seen the final. It's, I've got it taped, and I'm going to be watching it. I'm looking forward to it, even though I know who's won. Eddie the Eagle Edwards, of course, was crowned king of the diving board on Saturday night after winning the Splash finale filmed in Luton's Inspire Sports Village. The former Olympic ski jumper beat Benidorm star Jake Canuso and TV presenter Linda Barker in the phone vote after wowing the public with his impressive dives. But we can't all be winners. Hey, it's the taking part that counts, isn't it? Well, on the phone now, we have one of the runners-up, Splash finalist, Jake Canoe. So, morning, Jake. Good morning. Now, I've, I have not seen this yet. I've just Googled to, to get a little bit of gossip on it. And the picture that's come up is... Uh, could, you not get any, could you not get any trunks that were bigger? Um, no. <laughs> Admittedly, you have the body to pull it off. The tighter, the better, because they're guaranteed to stay on. Well, this was my worry, was that, that someone, you know, something would would pop out for a gentleman. That's never pleasant, is it? Um, no, and in training, it constantly did. I mean, it wasn't about popping out. It was literally about the speedos being down at your ankle. Underwater. Unfortunately, there's no cameras in training. Good. But in Luton, they did have cameras, and I think some of the ladies had a few little accidents. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well. Look, Jake, I, listen, I love Splash, and I was one of those idiots. I did something I always say I'll never do. I slagged off the first episode because everyone was. And then someone oh. said, well, why don't you watch it? And I watched it, and it's brilliant. It's cracking Saturday night entertainment. <laughs> did you enjoy it? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. You know, I mean, it's so easy. We've all done it. We all join in the big, you know, gang attack and, and, and have a go at something. And actually, when we sit down and we watch, we go, actually... If if I'm honest, it's what it is, yeah. you know, it's light entertainment, it's Saturday night, it's for the kids. Yeah. And what it's done for diving and the sport and, and to see all those lovely little kids and their faces smiling and so happy when they meet you, it's just brilliant. I've loved every single moment of it. I'm actually starting to enjoy it now that it's over. Yeah. I'm absorbing it because it was so painful most of the time that you just didn't have a chance to to absorb the sort of fun side of it. You're obviously, li- listen, you're obviously quite fit. I've seen the picture, you're buff, right? <laughs> but were you, were you much of a swimmer? Were you much of a diver before this? No, you know what? I've never dived. The last time I dived was off the side of the pool in Benidorm on set, and literally just off the side of the pool to go into the water for a scene. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer uh, from, from a very young age. I don't swim. I've not, I don't swim in the pools. I don't swim in the sea. I really don't. I had um, done none of it, and um, it's been pretty challenging. How on earth did you get yourself up on that 10... You went on the 10-metre board, didn't you? Yeah, I did the handstand off the 10 How How did you do that in your head? Well, the one thing to do... I mean, I was really worried because my wrists... Because I'd never done a handstand. Last week, I did a handstand off the seven and a half. Yeah. But I had five days to learn a handstand. But my wrists had got inflamed, so I couldn't do any handstands this week until Friday <laughs> until I went up on the 10-metre board. Oh. So I just... Um, I'd been on the 10-metre board before, but I just said to myself, don't look at it as a 10-metre board. Don't stand on it and look down. Just get on the board. Do your interview and chat that you do up there. And, and even training, I just got on the back of the board... I walked to the front of the board and just looked at the edge where my hand had to go, and I looked at my hands. And, and everybody keeps thinking that I'm trembling as I'm putting my hands down. It's actually trying to get the right position and, yeah. and distance of the fingers and hands. But I just tried to focus on my hands and make sure that they had the right distance, the right grip, and, and the right tension in the arm to go up on the handstand. And it takes your mind off what height you're on. Mm. And that's, that's, what, that's how I did 
all of it. And any any dive I've done, I just took my because the minute you start thinking, oh my god, it's five meter, it's seven and a half meter, you panic, and so many things go through your mind, and you're not going to do it. I'm getting nervous even thinking about it. Listen, Jake, you, yeah. uh, Benidorm's been a huge success. Have we got more of that coming up? What's next for yeah. you? We're about to, um, well, I've got a few weeks off, and then we're actually off to Benidorm in March to do Series 6. Series 6 of Benidorm. Series 6. For four months. And finally, uh, Jake, did you enjoy Luton? Did you, did you have fun here? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we didn't get to see much because we arrived there at nine in the morning and just had rehearsals all day. I had a great time at the Hilton um, Saturday night, finally being allowed to have a few drinks. Yeah. Um, everybody was great, but you know, a lot of the audiences um, were obviously locals from Luton, and they were all great. You know, they had great posters, they were so friendly, and it's a great, great um, facility, the, the centre there, the training centre. Jake, listen, we've got to end it there. Lovely to talk to you. I, I, unfortunately, you didn't win, but you did a cracking job. I'm looking forward to watching that later on this afternoon with the boys. She'll be fun, and uh, more Benidorm to come is always good news. Across beds, hearts, and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Wow. Lots to cram in. Mandarin, it's a language our children should be learning. That's according to the British Council, who say more schools should offer it. This comes after a poll found only 3% of primary and 9% of secondary teachers say their schools offer the subject. Well, Tony Dolphin is an economist for the Institute for Public Policy Research. Joins me now. Morning, Tony. Hi, good morning. Why is the British Council so keen on this idea that all kids should learn Mandarin? Well, I think because if the UK is going to engage in the global economy over the next few decades, it's going to have to engage with China. China is already the world's second largest economy. It's the second largest importer of goods in the world. And over the next 15 years, it's going to overtake the US and become the world's biggest and most important economy. But they speak English, don't they? They do. And, and, you know, the Brits, you know, we're traditionally bad at speaking languages. And part of the reason for that is because we don't have to, because... You know, English is undoubtedly the world's business language, and that's not going to change. That's not going to change soon. Um, but you know, we are lagging behind other countries like Germany in exporting to China. Now, I don't know if Germany teaches more of its children Mandarin than we do, but you know, the fact is we are lagging behind. And if we want to close that gap, having more people who speak Mandarin is, is going to be helpful. I do agree that the, the, the British, the English in particular, are particularly lazy when it comes to learning languages. And I, 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 don't, I don't really speak any languages, but whenever I go abroad, I always take a, 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 a phrase book with me so I can at least make the effort, because that's appreciated, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's you know, necessary for a British businessman to go to Beijing and conduct the whole of the, the business negotiation down you know, in, in Mandarin and to know all you know, the complete business language. But if you can go in and, as you say, at least do the introductions and afterwards having a drink or in a restaurant sort of conduct yourself in Mandarin at, at least at a basic level, it, it would be much appreciated. It builds up strong links might at the end of the day help you get the business. Do you think it could have a detrimental effect on the future of our co- economy if children don't learn it? Well, I mean, it's, it's a bit hard to say it would have a, a detrimental effect. I mean, you know, really competing in the global economy now is, is really tough, and it's about giving yourself any little edge that you can. And if, if as a company you're going to China, you're looking to establish a strong business link, you know, if you've got someone there who's a good speaker of Mandarin, it, it can only help you. Um, you know, it might not win you the contract if you're 
want to charge 10% more than the German firm. Mm. But if other things are all pretty close and pretty equal, if you've built a strong business relationship, the evidence is that that will help you win the business. Can you speak any Mandarin, Tony? I cannot speak a single word of Mandarin. Well. <laughs> Very bad GCSE French, is yeah. not and, and how often have you used that French? I bet never. Um, only on occasional, you know, trips to France for, for holidays. That's, mm. that's it, yeah. Tony, listen, thank you very much indeed. Tony Dolphin there is uh, economist, an economist for the Institute for Public Policy Research. I learned a little bit of German. The only time I use it is uh, when I'm kind of showing off to people. I, I think I did, uh, I was doing some Vox Pops once, you know, with the, those silly things where you interview people in the street and the person was German and I was able to have a little brief chat with them in German. That was it. I've never even been to Germany. I've got no intention of going to Germany. It's on the list, but I mean, it's, it's about number 105 on the list of countries I want to visit. And I've been to France. I've done France. Isn't it very pleasant, very nice, but um, I don't, really not useful at all. Well, there we go. Right. Let's get the travel news now, shall we? Let's go to Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Heading south on the M1 through Milton Keynes, we're still looking at delays due Newport Pagnell Services and Junction 14. And heading north on the M1, more delays as well between 13 at Bedford and 14 at Milton Keynes. Won't take you too long to get through that stretch though. While heading London bound, more delays I'm afraid at 11 at Dunstable. Anti-clockwise on the M25, slow between 21A at St Albans and 15 at the M4. Going to take you nearly an hour to get through that stretch. And still fairly start-stop as well between 27 at the M11 and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Barnet Bypass heading south, also queuing between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus. And on the trains, it looks like a normal service has now resumed on East Midlands services. We are still suffering with 20-minute delays on First Capital Connect on the Bedford to Brighton line. And a replacement bus service is running on the Chiltern Railway between Leamington Spa and Stratford-upon-Avon as well. There's more in 15 minutes. Thank you very much, Sophie. Right, I'm off home to buy some bubble wrap. Uh, some boxes and a new thermostat. Thanks very much, family, for ruining my house while I've been at work. Uh, back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stick around, though. Jonathan Vernon Smith is up next. Always worth a listen. Till tomorrow, ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon Smith. It's Monday morning. And on today's big phone-in, I'm asking, do you agree with Chris Grayling that smacking